This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys owner Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I got through it. It's okay. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, is my very good friend, the fantasy hockey robot, the poobah of prognostication. You guys all know him better, though, as Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. If you don't watch the YouTube version of the show, and why would you? Uh, because it's full of mistakes and silly moments. Uh, but Elon's face during the yes today alone makes it worth it. I I don't we don't have keepingcarlson.com slash live to get to our YouTube channel. Check it out. Okay. Like well, and subscribe. Five star review. Okay, yes. Uh <laughs> come for the silly faces, but stay for the fantasy hockey content, because we've got a ton to get to today. It's now Two weeks in, not even, like a week and a half in, one full fantasy matchup in by the time you listen to this on Monday, and already people are freaking out, and for good reason, because a lot of the players we invested heavily on in our drafts are disappointing us. So, Brian, we're going to start the show today with a big bummer, and I'm going to go through a bunch of players who are doing absolutely nothing, and I'll ask you to decide whether or not we can let go of them, or if we need to hold on and hope for better things. Before we get to that, let's, of course, start I mentioned that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the top fantasy hockey website out there. I'm going there every day for the tools, you know, the daily line combinations. You've got just starting goalies, plus articles, like everything you need is at Frozen Tools. And then the articles at Dauber Hockey, it's the best. Check it out, DauberHockey.com. You need to be using that site if you want to do well in fantasy hockey. I-M-H-O. Let's start in San Jose, Brian, with a Sharks team that is now 1-4 going into their game tonight versus Calgary. And with a cold streak like this, a bunch of their players are putting their owners on tilt. Let's start with Tomas Hurdle, zero points in five games. He's been playing big top line, top power play minutes, but nothing is going in for him. He has 13 shots, which puts him on pace, actually, for 213 shots in the year, which would actually be his career high. But zero points so far puts him on pace for zero points on the year, which is very far below his 74 points last year. He's slated to play with Kane and LeBanc tonight. Do you think that by the time people listen to this podcast, Hurdle will have already broken out of this funk? Or is there actually something really concerning going on? There's nothing really concerning going on except what he's actually contributing to his fantasy owner's teams, which is absolutely nothing, right? It's really sad for anyone who owns Hurdle. Hopefully you drafted him. You got excited and you should have been. Um, 
And he's actually doing some really great things under the hood. He's Tomas Hurdle is on track for all kinds of career highs so far. Minutes, shots, shot attempts, expected goals, but of course, zero points to show for it. And it's a great example of what can happen in a small sample and just how misleading the small sample at the start of a season can be, especially when, you know, the scoring is looking wonky right out of the gate and you just can't look back to last week for memories of happier times. For Tomas Hurdle, you've got to look back six months to get those memories of happy times. But please look back six months, look back a year and just remember how great a hockey player Tomas Hurdle is because I look at the numbers beneath the zero points in scoring that Hurdle has provided and I see no cause for concern. In fact, I see a great buy low candidate, right? I am really looking forward, by the way. You said he's playing with Kane and LeBanc tonight. That'll be so great for Tomas Hurdle. He's had some really weird line mates to start the year. Lien Bergman, Lucas Radil, Barkley Goodrow. These are the guys that Hurdle's been playing with. And it looks like the Sharks are still trying to figure out exactly what post-Pavelski life looks like for them. And even post-Donskoy, for that matter, right? You've got two members of their top six or nine suddenly out of the picture. And they really didn't have a suitable replacement come in and join the team instead. And so we've seen the Sharks scrambling and blending their lines and struggling to find out exactly how to configure and calibrate their top six or top nine. And I don't think the effect of all that shuffling has been lost on guys like Tomas Hurdle, who continue to struggle to get on the score sheet. But Hurdle owners... He's playing really well, okay? Don't give up yet. Better than ever, actually, if you're looking at his rate stats and all the numbers that generally lead to points being scored. So as Sam Cook's hockey-loving cousin once said, I know the points are going to come for Tomas Hurdle. Okay, great. So that's nice to hear if you're a hurdle owner and maybe good advice to buy low. I'm actually curious, Brian, as we go through this, I'm very interested to see if there will even be any players that I talk about that you'll say, okay, yeah, let go of them. Because you're always of the mindset that you hold on to the guys you drafted, you give them a chance, you're always talking about small sample sizes, and this isn't a knock. This is the way you play fantasy, and you usually win. You drafted these guys for a reason, right? You watched them last year and the year before, however many years before. You did your research over the summer. Don't let yourself get thrown off by a three to five game sample size, especially if you're looking beyond just goals and assists and seeing, oh yeah, Hurdle's playing like another two minutes a night at even strength and he's taking more shots on goal than ever, putting more pucks towards the net than ever. It's all going to be okay. He's the player you thought he was He just hasn't been able to show you yet. All right, fair enough. So we'll go and we'll see when we hit our first player that Brian says, okay, yeah, you can let go of him. A couple more sharks I want to bring up. Timo Meyer. Drop him. Okay. (laughs) Finally picked up an assist in the 5-4 win over the Blackhawks on Thursday for his first point on the year in five games. He's been playing on line one with Couture. And in the last game, Patrick Marlowe, who we'll get to soon. He assisted on a Marlowe goal. Uh, He has had four or five shots in each of his last three games. But on the negative side, he hasn't been on the top power play. That's something we kind of expected him to take when we saw that Pavelski left for Dallas. But no, it's been Evander Kane who's gotten the opportunity, at least since he came back from his suspension. So Timo Meyer not getting that power play time, which maybe puts a 
damper on his upside. And right now, obviously, that puts a big damper considering he's not giving you many points. Otherwise, Kevin LeBanc, how you brought up before, also got his first point of the season when he scored against Corey Crawford on the power play on Thursday. He has 17 shots overall in five games at this point, but he's been playing in the bottom six for a lot of this season. But like I said, he's now slated to play with Kane and Hurdle today, according to a tweet from Curtis Pashelka. So, okay, Brian, thoughts on Meyer or LeBanc? Are these the same as Hurdle, like worth targeting if they've been dropped and definitely worth holding if you have them? Or is there reason to expect any of them to continue being in for a tough season? Let me start with Timo Meyer, who, yes, we are all very sad. He's not on the top power play. But what is great and will help cheer you up is that Timo Meyer's shots are still coming. And he's playing with Logan Couture at five on five. And last year, we all remember that Timo Meyer nearly paced for 70 points without top power play deployment. So really, like, obviously... Elon, you've already identified it. We're not surprised that this is already a theme this episode, that there isn't anything here to get too worried about. Is it a bummer that we haven't seen Timo Meyer get on the top power play this year that we hoped would happen, and then that would help take his production to the next level? Yeah, of course it's a bummer. But is his season going to be made or broken by that top power play deployment? I don't think so, right? And also, uh, if anybody's really holding their breath for Meyer getting on the top power play, there's still a good chance, right, that they're going to shuffle the deck, especially because San Jose is just three for 20 on the power play so far this year. That's a 15% conversion rate, which isn't awful, but it's also not very good. So maybe that uh, poor conversion rate can continue just long enough uh, for the coaching staff to say, how about, uh, how about we try Timo? on the top power play unit. And then hopefully he solves all the problems and the Sharks convert on 100% of their power plays with him on it. And then you also asked me about Kevin LeBanc, who is another guy who's getting like blended around this Sharks lineup in five games so far. I'm seeing four of them in which LeBanc played at least a couple shifts with five or more different line mates. That's crazy. What are you supposed to develop with anyone when you're being moved? Like, Right, the standard is you play with two guys the whole game at even strength, maybe a third guy for a couple shifts here and there, but five or more in four of your five games? Come on. Come on, Sharks coaching staff. Give Kevin some consistent line mates in chemistry. The upshot, by the way, of LeBanc's deployment so far, while he's getting blended around with line mates, his time on ice has increased, as we'd hoped, by two whole minutes at five on five. And beyond that, the good news is that not only has LeBanc held his rate stats, they've actually gone up. Again, we're talking about a small sample, so even the positive things we need to be a little gun-shy about and say, well, we don't know this is going to last. And it's not always a slam dunk that a player can maintain their rate stats when their deployment grows the way LeBanks has and likely, well, should sustainably grow too. But early returns are nice to see Kevin LeBanks so far flourishing in the extra time that he's finally being given to play. I mean, I guess you say flourishing because these underlying stats, obviously (laughs) not on the score sheet. Uh, But you're saying again, another hold. Okay, this guy though, Brian, come on. Martin freaking Jones. What are people supposed to do about him? He's got an 854 save percentage, a 4.55 goals against average through three games that he's played so far. No wins, which was the one thing we were supposed to be able to depend on from Martin Jones. He's not even giving you that. Turns out it's hard to win games when you're letting in four or five goals per contest. Then, of course, I guess the one nice thing you could say about Martin Jones is that maybe he doesn't have a lot of competition from Aaron Dell because he hasn't been much better. He has an 884 save percentage through the three games he's played. He came in for a period in the second game versus Vegas. But hey, 
Dell is the one that got the win in that Chicago game. So, Brian, if Jones blows it again tonight, I imagine Martin Jones is going to play tonight once again. I believe it's against Calgary. At that point, can we tell people, because they're going to be listening already tomorrow, can we tell them they could probably let him go, especially if a guy like, say, like, I don't know, Ranta or Grice, like if it's a pretty shallow goalie uh, situation in free agency and some of these, you know, 50-50 guys are available, at what point can you just, like, let go of Martin Jones, even though you drafted him pretty high, expecting San Jose to be a great team? And, and they might be a great team, but I just can't imagine Martin Jones being valuable, but hey, I could be wrong. Big fat oof for Martin Jones and really all the San Jose Sharks to start the season. You're right that the Sharks can't be expected to really succeed when their goalie isn't doing so well, but I think the Sharks need to share the blame with Martin Jones. They're making some dumb mistakes, some high-risk plays early this season, trying to make like the perfect, beautiful play when they need to keep it simple, stupid. Uh, You know, especially the risk for that sort of thing sometimes goes up. When you find yourself in a deeper and deeper hole early on, it's never fun and teams just want to sort of, you know, flash their way out of it. Uh, but they haven't been able to so far. And the Sharks on the whole have not been doing Martin Jones any favors. They have offered him a 918, a 919, a 913 expected save percentage at five on five over the last three years. This season so far, they are offering Martin Jones an expected save percentage at five on five of 896. So that's pretty, Difficult circumstances within which to work. That's sort of like what Jonathan Quick had to work with last year in L.A. Uh, but, of course, Martin Jones is doing what Jonathan Quick did in L.A. last year, which is play way behind his awful expected save percentage and put up an actual 5-on-5 save percentage of 860. San Jose is going to find it very hard to win as long as that lasts. The tricky part... Also, for anybody owning Jones who's saying, okay, well, the team's going to correct things and he'll settle into and everything's going to be okay, uh, that, that would be a thing I'd love to say, except Peter DeBoer has recently stated his desire to use Aaron Dell more if Dell can show that he's capable of it. Uh, I was reading this article by Kevin Kurse on The Athletic, and apparently it was the plan to get Dell in more last year, which we also thought would happen, but of course he blew every chance he got, and DeBoer didn't feel comfortable doing it. And then this summer, Aaron Dell stayed in San Jose to practice all summer with their goaltending coach. So this could be... Uh, a fresh start for Aaron Dell to take another crack at Martin Jones's job, which is really there for the taking, so long as Aaron Dell can play reasonably well. So that would be really unfortunate for Martin Jones if uh, if he can't pull it together, if the team in front of him can't pull it together before Dell gets a crack. The worst thing for Martin Jones would be if Aaron Dell doesn't play necessarily any better than Martin Jones. I'm not sure he's capable of being better than Martin Jones, but if Aaron Dell is the one who's in net, when San Jose finally runs, rounds out their defensive game and Hurdle gets a goal and LeBanc gets an assist and everybody starts rolling, uh, then maybe Arundel gets to stay a while, right? So that would be the biggest concern for Martin Jones is that he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, I mean, well, that's one of the biggest concerns. The other one is that he might just be a bad goalie. But... <laughs> no, he definitely is a bad goalie, but I don't know that Arundel is any better. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe there's a goalie in the minors. Maybe there's a Binnington that's going to have to come up and save this team. But for now, scary times as a Jones owner. Feel free to tweet at us at Keeping Carlson if you think you have juicy goalie free agents. I don't know what Brian would say. I have a feeling I might say like, eh, I don't know. Let him go. Maybe. Maybe give it another week. Let's give it another week and we'll get to some more goalies as we go. Maybe we can compare them to Jones. Elon, the Sharks are one in four, right? Yeah. Okay. Do you expect them to be to win one out of every five games they play? 
No, but I mean, obviously, it also depends on your league format. If goals against average and save percentage play into it, I just don't have much faith. Like, I saw the playoffs last year. I had a bet on the Sharks. I was watching all their games. It was very scary to watch. They, like, Jones let in so many goals. The Sharks had to score four or five goals to win every game they won. Yeah, there's no doubt that Jones might not be a very good NHL goalie, but he's the goalie that the Sharks have, and I think they're forced to use him. And I think they're willing to use him so long as he doesn't blow it completely, which I know is a, a difficult disclaimer for him to hold up his end of the bargain for. Yeah, sorry, Brian. I'm getting deja vu from talking about Jake Allen at the start of last season. Sorry about that. Uh, okay, on the plus side, let's say one nice thing about the Sharks. This whole show's been about the Sharks so far. Uh, how about Patrick Marlowe signing that one-year 700000 contract and getting into the next game to keep his Ironman streak going? He played on the top line with Couture and Meyer and scored two goals, including one from the second power play. Brian, is there anything here? Like, Marlowe only managed 37 points last year as a 39-year-old on the Leafs. Is it at all possible that he can now somehow be fantasy-relevant? As a 40-year-old? I mean, you got to love this deployment at the very least. I feel like, you know, Marlowe is going to be somebody who everyone is trying to add out of free agency right away, right? And I think what I would be doing is seeing, okay, who'd that guy drop to add Patrick Marlowe? Who did they who, who did they let go of to make room for him? Because I don't think Marlowe is going to offer the value that so far seems apparent. Like you said, Elon, he's an old guy right? He's not going to be setting the world on fire. It's nice that he landed in San Jose, and it's a beautiful story, but I think somewhere between, say, 37 points and 47 points feels right for him this year. I I choose those numbers because 37 points is what Patrick Marlowe had playing alongside Nazem Kadri and Sammy Kapanen. Oh, not Sammy Kapanen, Kasperi Kapanen, and sometimes Austin Matthews and William Nylander last season. Uh, and then 47 points is what Marlowe had the year before that, playing with some mix of Kadri, Komarov, and Mitch Marner. Uh, next to Couture and Meyer is a fantastic place to be for Patrick Marlowe, uh, but it's not going to be enough to get him up in above 50 points, especially because he's not going to factor in on the power play. I think 20 goals, 20 assists would be a nice season for Patrick Marlowe, and I'm not expecting a whole lot more. Okay, fair enough. Uh, So maybe hold off on adding him unless you think you can add him and then maybe swap him really quickly. It's hard to imagine he'll be... I mean, it depends how deep your league is, obviously, but if you're saying that you don't expect more than 50 points, that's probably not fantasy relevant in most formats, aside from a stream here and there. All right, Brian, so fine. We can't drop all of these sharks just yet. I feel like you've got to at least be ready to give people permission to drop at least some of these god-awful Minnesota Wild players, right? After the... 7-4 7-4 lost to Pittsburgh yesterday. This team is 0-4, seemingly going nowhere fast. I'm going to go into our backlog and edit out everything I said in the preseason about the Minnesota Wild looking like a potentially sneaky playoff contender. I wish I never said that because this is looking very, very bad. So let's go down the sad list of disappointments so far. And I guess I'll do a reverse Sharks here. Let's start a net with Devin Dubnik, who has played four games now, sporting an 862 save percentage after being pulled after the fifth goal yesterday versus the Penguins. Leading into the season, we talked about Dubnik as someone who's maybe only average as a goalie at this point, but is supported by one of the best defenses in the league. Is that no longer the case anymore? Are we just looking now at like another Martin Jones, but with an even smaller chance of winning games? And like the thing is, again, like I said about Jones, but then you said maybe Aaron Dell could challenge. There's no way Alex Stalock challenges Dubnik for starts. So I imagine Devin Dubnik is still going to get you starts, which would be the reason to hold on and hope for him to be better. Unless we want to start looking at someone like Kapo Kakinen in the minors who potentially has a shot to pull a Binnington. But uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on Dubnik so far? And what do people do if they drafted him? I'm so happy that this is the year 
I decided to stop caring about goaltending skill and just banked on brute forcing my goalie spots and saying, okay, I just want guys who are going to start a lot at like Martin Jones and Devin Dubnik. Seriously, I've never drafted either of these guys ever. And then I get them both in different leagues and they're both doing a fantastic job of giving me a rash and wanting to swear off all goalies forever and ever and ever. Just I thought it was a safe play. These guys are going to start 55, 60 games. The teams have no other choices. And then, of course, they come out laying some really large eggs. And Devin Dubnik does not have the same, it's the defense excuse as Martin Jones, because Minnesota is still offering Devin Dubnik their usual top-end goalie protection. This one here is all on Devin Dubnik, who's posting an 871 5-on-5 save percentage behind a 936 expected save percentage. Yeah, that's a 65-point difference. Uh, So that's terrible. Awful. Should never happen. And it's probably a small sample thing too, but it's still like it shouldn't even happen in a sample as big as four games. Get it together, Devin Dubnik. There are, uh, the, the plus side is that there are no Dell-like whisperings that Alex Stalock should be getting more games in this year. So Dubnik owners, I think, have more reason to hold steady than Martin Jones owners, although... I think both of them should really just be holding steady right now. Wait for their teams to figure it out. Uh, The Wild pride themselves on defensive play, and they're going to keep locking it down. And I think Dubnik still has time to settle in. You know, it's fun, Elon. You keep mentioning fun to, like, think of the next Bennington. But even if they did... Uh, call up one of their minor league goalies or their prospect goalies. Uh, there's kind of a difference between this year's Minnesota Wild and last year's St. Louis Blues, and it goes beyond just the goaltending. Yeah, that's fair. Minnesota, definitely a, a very concerning team at this point, because look at some of their forwards that we thought would do okay, doing absolutely nothing. Like we've got so far a one goal, three shots in four games, Zach Parise. So he's doing nothing aside from that one goal, uh, one assist and three shots over. I'm not talking three shots per game, by the way, three shots overall in four games. That's Zach Parise. Also three shots in four games for Eric Stahl so far. He has one assist. We've got Matt Zuccarello, also three shots overall, uh, pointless in four games. So all all three of these guys not doing anything. I'm not like, you know, no hits, no shots, no blocks, no points. Barf, barf, barf. Parisi, Stahl, Zuccarello. Oh, and if your league counts plus minus, we're even talking barf with a little coming out of the other end, if you know what I mean. Like, this is just a disaster right now. Brian, would you be holding on to any of these guys? Or do we need to just let go of all of our Minnesota Wild forwards and maybe the goalie? We already talked about the goalie, but the forwards. Yeah, definitely hang on to the goalie. Hang on to, mo- again, you know what you tried to learn over the summer and you know what you went into your draft thinking five games you were basing your decisions i hope on 80 game samples at least don't let five game samples change your mind but i understand the temptation especially for these minnesota wild forwards who have just combined to do a terrible job of scoring goals minnesota has scored just six goals over their first three games elon i feel like that needs an update because they've played more than three games, so maybe you can help provide it uh, at some point. Uh, everybody stinks on Minnesota is essentially the the moral after the first run of the season. Bruce Boudreaux said in a post game quote that the Wild aren't going to win by scoring like a whole lot of goals and. It's not like this is a change in philosophy either. The Wild were a bottom five team in five on five goals scored last season, but there was still offensive relevance to be found amongst the forwards and defensemen in their lineup this year. Not yet. I don't at all love also that Parisi and Stahl are both supposed to be 
everything for the lines they're playing on. You've got Parisi playing with Luke Kunin and Joel Erickson Eck. You've got Eric Stahl playing with Jordan Greenway and Kevin Fiala. Just put Parisi and Stahl together. Call it a day. Let's not make things too complicated. And then, of course, you've got the line that actually has three solid players on it. Uh, Jason Zucker, Matt Zuccarello, and Miko Koivu, who, you know, are doing okay. Zucker's got a couple goals. Good for him. Uh, but I think Parisian Stahl should probably not be spread out across two lines if those three are all on one line. The, the Wilds aren't deep enough to do it. Um, just to zero in a little bit, zoom in on what Parisi, Stahl, and Zuccarello have been doing so far this year. Parisi's down 60 seconds of five-on-five five ice time. His shot rate stats are are down a lot. Actually, they're down like 75%, fewer than three shots per 60 minutes. That's not per game. That's per 60 minutes played. And this is a guy who's a big shooter, right? He usually gets nine or 10 shots per 60 minutes at five on five. So something's wrong there. And then you look at Eric Stahl and you see he's also down. He's down two minutes of five on five ice time, similar declines in his shot rates. And it's so weird because Stahl and Parisi, these guys are their lines and they're not the ones getting shots off. And then you look at Matt Zuccarello, who's really experiencing the same thing as the other two in Stahl and Parisi. Fewer minutes, fewer shots being directed on net. Uh, four of Minnesota's top eight shot getters, by the way, are defensemen, including their top two, who are tied for first, Jared Spurgeon and Ryan Suter, lead the Wild in shots on goal. And then it's Kunin, Marcus Foligno, Ryan Hartman, Miko Koivu leading the way for forwards. It's a supremely weird start for the Wild offense, which means that I'm not going to rush to drop them because it's too weird to keep going. I am feeling a little less worse about uh, my losing out on adding Eric Stahl in the cupful. I bid big on him. I was outbid bigger and I haven't missed anything. So I I feel fine about that. Uh, But I think I I still believe, especially that Parisi can get going. Stahl, I think I can get going too. But if you own him in a league, take a look at who your other centers are, because if his value over replacement isn't that great, you might want to swap him out, at least just for the short term, if you're able to stream him out and still have the chance to bring him back in. Yeah, okay. So, Brian, I'm going to have to disagree here because you're saying, you know, oh, you want to look at the 82-game sample from last year as opposed to the four- or five-game sample this year. The thing is, there's a reason why Dom Lucician, uh, you know, regresses players that are older when he comes up with his models and his his projections, right? Like, these players are all in their 30s at this point. I'm not saying forget that a player, like, is subject to the effects of chronological age. Yeah, but I'm, Parisi, Stahl, and Zuccarello all in their 30s. Also, with Zuccarello... So they're going to go from everything to nothing? Well, I don't know. Obviously There's not to nothing. There's a curve, Elon. It's a gentle drop. Not what we're seeing here. Okay. We'll have to wait and see. Zuccarello I'm especially concerned about because last year, don't forget, he got all those points. He was playing with Zibanejad, who I think we're starting to learn is pretty freaking amazing. And now he starting is definitely not... Well, you know what I mean. Like, he's having some... Let me talk, but I'm trying to get excited about how fun the season has been for some of these people not on the Minnesota Wild. Zuccarello, I'm going to say you could drop him. Eric Stahl, probably you could drop him too. Parise, I don't know. Give him another game, but I'm very concerned about all of these guys. But obviously, it depends who's available in your free agency list. These guys have all been getting dropped in my leagues. Brian, Eric Stahl was just dropped in my Kukupful division, Tier 1 Sweden. So we'll wait and see if there's a $17 bid, you know, tomorrow when he becomes available. I have a feeling that's not going to happen. Maybe 
maybe I'll put down at zero if I uh, can think of someone I think might be even worse than him that I could drop. Uh, but, you know, we could agree to disagree here. And you're pro- it's probably going to be somewhere in the middle, right? Like, I'm not saying these guys are going to be awesome. You're probably not saying that either, but you're saying you think they could do better than this. But they're going to have to do a-, a lot better, right? Like, we want uh, 50, 60-point paces from these guys to be fantasy-relevant, what we expected last year. And four games in, it's not fair to judge. I mean, Eric Stahl only had 52 points last season, and we detailed in our almanac a bunch of things that went wrong uh, because he had 76 points the year before, 65 points the year before that. Yes, he's 35 years old now, but going from 76 to 52 to uh, now I guess he's pacing for 20-something, that's not how it works. Right, you've got to at least expect some measure of fantasy relevance from Jordan Stahl, from Eric Stahl, Jordan Stahl. Of course, you can expect it from Elon. Uh, but I'm hoping that before long, Stahl and Parisi are united and can finally do great things together. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely think of counterexamples to what you're saying, but that's how hockey is. Like Jeff Carter, you know, was getting 60 points a season, and now all of a sudden he's complete garbage. And actually, let's get to that team, the LA Kings. Maybe we'll even get to Jeff Carter, but first, how about another terrible-looking goalie in Jonathan Quick? Yeesh! 14 goals against in his first two games that he's played versus Vancouver and Edmonton. Jack Campbell has also played two games. He hasn't been especially great in either, but still head and shoulders ahead of Quick with only seven goals against and two wins! Uh, So I assume Quick is likely to play today versus Vegas since Campbell played yesterday. If Quick stinks again, again, I'm asking this like sort of question about predicting the future because people listening to this will already know whether or not Quick stunk because they're listening to this on Monday. But if he stinks again, can people consider finally dropping him if they haven't already and maybe consider adding Jack Campbell? Like I've been sort of searching on Twitter, looking at the vibe. Don't worry, Brian, I've been trying to only pay attention to the verified tweets. I know you get mad at me if I don't pay if I'm paying attention to, you know, the nobodies on Twitter. But uh, the vibe is that a lot of people are saying that they think Campbell, like basically if the Kings want to have a chance to have a good season and challenge for a playoff spot, they need to like switch to Jack Campbell ASAP. There doesn't seem to be much faith in Jonathan Quick at this point. I even saw uh, Kat Silverman tweet saying that she thinks that Jonathan Quick should be sent down to the minors to let him tune up his game. Maybe call Cal Peterson, who's doing a really great job right now. So I don't know. I'm really losing faith in Jonathan Quick quickly. It's time to, I think, drop him. And also, I'm kind of interested in Jack Campbell, because this Kings team, we'll talk about the forwards in a second, this team is scoring a lot of goals. So they just need a decent goalie, and maybe you could have something here. Yeah, maybe. In Jack Campbell, you're saying, but not Jonathan Quick. I still have some faith in Jonathan Quick, who has been awful, right? A 756 save percentage at five on five, where generally your save percentage is better than, uh, like your all around number, right? If a goalie has a 910 save percentage, sometimes they might have a 935 on five save percentage because, uh, most of the damage happens on the penalty kill. But Jonathan Quick and the number that should be the best is a 7 56, uh, which is terrible. And if you're trying to compare him to like Dubnik or Jones, he's more a Dubnik in that his team isn't doing much worse for him, but he is doing much worse for them. And I can't imagine that Jonathan Quick has a ton of rope. Thank goodness for his contract is all I can say, because I think that does keep him tied to the NHL team. I think there's no way they send him down. The Kings suck, like, period. I know you're going to say they're scoring a lot of goals, but they're not a good team, and I don't think they're about to make him their scapegoat. They have nothing to gain from that. I I, I wonder if they can try and teach him some lessons in practice or during games. Like, don't send him to the HL. I I don't like that idea. Uh, Maybe (laughs) because I own him in one league. Uh, Accidentally. I don't... Was it on the patron cast? I... I missed the button, and he was at the top of my queue for no good reason. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Okay. 
I can see. So you want me to talk about Jack Campbell? I can see him eating away at Jonathan Quick's starts, but he's going to have to play better before Jonathan Quick has a chance to rediscover whatever game he does have left. I own Quick. Campbell's available. I'm not dropping Quick outright for Campbell. If anything, I'm actually just dropping Quick outright, period. I'm not going to add another Kings goalie to extend my crease misery. Jack Campbell might be good, but the Kings are not, and I don't want to have their goalie. Okay, well, sure, maybe if you're deciding between Quick and Campbell, the answer could be neither. But again, another potential goalie that if you're holding on to a Jones or a Dubnik or a Quick, if someone like Jack Campbell's in free agency, you might start considering to yourself, huh, there's someone who might end up being good. But obviously, you're saying you don't believe in it yet. We'll have to see. Like, Jack Campbell had a really good run last year. So there might be something here. This might be like, a, you know, Darcy Kemper in waiting, where you never expected anything from him for a long time. And all of a sudden, he's turning into a really good player. But yeah, we'll have to see more data. As far as you saying that you don't think they'll send Quick down, because what do they have to gain? I think what they have to gain is like trying to actually be a good team and win. You know, like that's the goal of an NHL franchise is to win games. Try to Not get into always. The Not all, yeah, unless they're tanking. But uh, Cal Peterson's been good. And what does it matter what his contract is? Send him to the minors. No one's going to cl- If someone claims him on waivers, it's the best thing that could ever happen to the LA Kings. It's not going to happen. So they can do whatever they want. Don't tell them what they can't do. Uh, but you're probably right. But hey, this is uh, Kat Silverman. I'm not just quoting a nobody. She was on our show just a couple weeks ago. I think she knows a little bit about goalies. I- I'll link the tweet in the show notes so the patrons can I see it. <laughs> I'm not challenging her credibility, Elon. I know. I didn't say you were. I'm just saying that it was a, a thought that she brought up. Uh, okay. okay. But, like I said, the crazy thing about the Kings so far. They're actually scoring a lot of goals after their 7-4 win over the Preds yesterday. They've got 18 goals in four games. Andre Kopitar up to two goals and five assists in four games. Drew Doughty, three goals and two assists. Dustin Brown, two goals and three assists. So the guys who are probably already owned in your league are doing well. The people who waited in their drafts and snapped up Kopitar and Doughty feeling very good about themselves. And of the players that could potentially be available in your free agent list, we've got Tyler Toffoli with two goals and two assists so far. Ilya Kovalchuk has two goals and three assists. Kind of everyone's getting in on the fun, aside from Jeff Carter and his sad only one assist when the Kings are scoring all of these goals. So, Brian, do you think the Kings can keep up the scoring to some extent? And would you be looking at Toffoli or new coach, new Kovey as potential FA ads? You may not be shocked to hear, Elon, that the Kings, with all this scoring, rank third in the league in five-on-five shooting percentage, but you may be shocked to hear that they rank second in expected goals four per 60 minutes at five-on-five. You like that little switcheroo there? They're right behind Carolina in expected goals rates, and they're ahead of Philadelphia, Vegas, and Toronto. Is this what happens when you give up 21 goals in four games that every game suddenly turns into a track meet and you can just keep scoring because it's wide open and nobody cares about defense anymore? That's the best case you may be able to make for the Kings to continue scoring goals. I am not totally convinced that they've got the personnel to keep up this way, but it's nice to see while it lasts. And we know that Kopitar, Dowdy, Dustin Brown were all available in your drafts this year for great value and they're providing great early returns for their owners Uh, as for Kovalchuk specifically he's playing at even strength with Trevor Lewis and Michael Amadio so good for him for putting up whatever production he has but it's really not the, the best place for him to be producing and Toffoli also makes you know, an okay stream as per usual he's doing his three shots per game thing which is lovely uh you know as long as the Kings are scoring goals Go ahead and grab them. I, I just don't see this lasting. I don't see them being one of the league leaders in goals scored when all is said and done. 
Okay, yeah, so wait and see. But if you like their schedule in an upcoming week, maybe take a shot on Kovalchuk. Brian, you say, like, oh, you don't like him playing with Trevor Lewis and Michael Amadio. How about saying, I love how Trevor Lewis and Michael Amadio get to play with all-star Ilya Kovalchuk. <laughs> maybe it's a little late for that, but I like what I'm seeing from him. He did start last year hot, too, before, you know, he got a little bit buried by the coach. So I'd be curious to see what Kovalchuk can do. Uh, but Brian, if you want to go see guys like Kovalchuk and Kopitar, you're kind of running out of time. They're getting to the twilight of their career. So you might want to, if you're in the California area, go check out a Kings game, and if you want to get tickets to that game, why not use our friends over at SeatGeek? Because, Brian, if you use something else, you know what it's like. Like It's almost like these ticketing websites, they're making it difficult on purpose to get tickets to your sporting events and concerts that you want to go to. It's always like they don't care about the customer experience, there's weird fees showing up at inopportune times. Like, I don't even, like, these sites, I hate them, but I really do like SeatGeek because it's a site that makes it easy for all of the people who are using it. They've got millions of live event tickets, a price match guarantee. You could, like, use the app you could sort uh, all the events in your city by value which is i think a really good feature also the price that they show you is actually the final price which i really appreciate you could take a quick look at the app store you've got over 50,000 five star reviews how's that for customer satisfaction so like also like anyways i could just tell you forever how great seeky cuz it's the it's the site that i use when i want to buy tickets to things i'm taking a look in la right now at if i was in the area we have a former podcast guest john reed he lives there so john if you want to check out some events in LA. There's some good ones coming up. Brian, why don't you try to guess which one is the most expensive? You could go see the Flames at the Kings next weekend. So that would be fun. You could go for a little drive and go see the Hurricanes at the Ducks. Or which one should I say here? I'll do a concert or the Jonas Brothers. So which one is going to be the most expensive between those three tickets? Jonas Brothers. Oh, damn. That was an easy guess for you, and, and you're right. Yeah. So you got to drop 56 bucks to go see the Jonas Brothers, but we're talking $17 for Flames at Kings and $21 for Hurricanes at Ducks. So some good ticket prices on SeatGeek if you want to see some NHL action. Want to take a guess, Brian? Lizzo is also going to be there next weekend. What do you think? Plus or minus $200? Uh, minus? No, plus. Well, you're, you're asking me, so it's plus, obviously. Well, it could have been 199 but yeah, Lizzo is hot right now, so maybe you want to go see her, and you can get your ticket over at SeatGeek, and if $204 for Lizzo seems like a lot, how about 194 Brian, tell our listeners how they can get that price. <laughs> yeah, you can save 5% off that Lizzo ticket, or just $10 off your very first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code, download the SeatGeek app today, and use the promo code KEEPING for $10 off on your first purchase. That's like half the price of one of those Kings or Ducks tickets. That's promo code KEEPING for $10 off on your first purchase. SeatGeek! Oh. SeatGeek! Thank you for sponsoring us, SeatGeek. Okay, so let's go to our next disappointing player. So that's our excitement. Now we'll go back to being bummed out. Uh, we talked about Jamie Benn last week, and you were optimistic that he would be able to bounce back. Hey, he has two points in his last three games. So that's a nice start. But now i got another Dallas star I want to ask you about. How about Joe Pavelski and his sad one assist in six games played? He's been playing with Hints on the second line lately. Hints is doing great, but uh, he's not helping Pavelski out so far. It's supposed to be the other way around, based on their contracts. Uh, also... Uh, John Klingberg hasn't been doing anything on Dallas. He only has one assist in six games so far. So, like, what is happening in Dallas? All of these star players, no pun intended, that were drafted super high, kind of disappointing. Very disappointing for the Dallas Stars as we watch them really stumble out of the gate. They're kind of a mess, aren't they? There are team-wide issues happening, right? They're 1-4-1. One, and one. They're 1 out of 20 on the power play, making tons of mistakes left and right. And then you have Joe Pavelski. Uh, they're in the middle of it, trying to acclimatize to a new role 
on a new team, and that's probably pretty hard to do under the circumstances. Pavelski is down about a minute of ice time in Dallas, and he's not getting as involved in the offense as he has been in the past as a shark. Uh, It's too early, though, to say that this isn't going to work for Pavelski in Dallas. Let's see the stars as a team write themselves first. Uh, Did you ask me about his contract? I don't think anyone actually cares, but his contract is probably fine. Uh, $7 million for the next three years isn't such a huge bet to be making. Uh, So if you're in a cap league, I guess that's okay. Uh, But yeah, like let's not write him or any of the Dallas Stars off yet. Don't forget, Corey Perry scheduled to be back perhaps this Saturday. Oh, wow. (laughs) Woo, everything's going to change now. (laughs) And then he'll be injured by next Sunday. So get him (laughs) for that one game that you can. Uh, So John Klingberg also, I I assume you're going to say not to worry about him. He's one of the guys who gets drafted in the top 10 of defensemen. People must be really tearing their hair out right now. Klingberg is some cross between the victim and suspect of Dallas's stumble out of the gate offensively, particularly on that power play that's gone one out of 20. Uh, and by that, I mean Klingberg, you know, can't succeed when the team around him isn't succeeding. But to a really large extent, he is a a big piece of that team's success. Uh, so he needs to step up his game too. Dallas is shooting less than 5% with him on the ice this far though. So that's going to change. Klingenberg's going to get points. But yeah, it's just, it's maddening to be having this conversation and having all this talent in Dallas, Kling, Ben, Sagan, Radulov, Pavelski, and see the team ranked 28th in goals for per game played. They've been anemic so far. They rank 29th in expected goals at 5-on-5 and the Stars need to turn this thing around, but it doesn't look like anyone knows how. I was reading a Sean Shapiro article over at The Athletic and uh, the coach uh, what's his name? Jim Montgomery he sounded a lot like Peter Laviolette did, uh, talking about the Nashville power play uh, at the end of last season. Montgomery's like, we tried this. We tried that. We're doing this. We tell our players this. And like, just going through a list, and it's like, man, none of this is working. Figure it out. Yeah, and I mean, you were saying these numbers about how they're 29th in goals and this and expected goals. They'd be like 31st if it wasn't for Rupe Hints and his four goals in six games. He's the only one doing well. So yeah, you'd got to think they'll be able to figure it out with all this talent. I'd be holding on to Pavelski and Klingberg. Uh, so it looks like we haven't really had any people that you've said to drop yet. I said those Minnesota guys and Jonathan Quick, you're still saying to be patient, but I definitely agree with you on the Dallas Stars. Okay, let's go to New Jersey, Brian, and let's stick with some more troubling defensemen, starting with P.K. Subban on the O. 0-5 New Jersey Devils. The Devils took another tough loss yesterday. 3-0. They got blanked by Tuka Rask and the Bruins and are definitely not looking like the up-and-coming team we were expecting going into the season. And while I could talk about guys like Hall, Gusev, Hishir, like these guys are not producing like we expected so far, but at least they have a couple of points. People are starting to get worried about Gusev because of his weird line placement. But the one guy that's really jumping out to me is P.K. Subban. Only a sad one assist, which he picked up in the first game versus the Jets and nothing since. And the big thing that worries me about Subban is that this is nothing new, right? Like, this guy struggled last year to only 31 points in 63 games with the Predators. And I know we explained it away. Like, Brian, you explained it all away in the Almanac and how you think that he, you know, deserved better and how you think, like, getting this fresh start in New Jersey was going to mean that he was going to totally bounce back to his numbers that he had in Montreal. So far, not even coming close to what he did last year. Obviously, it's a very small sample size, but is it possible that maybe that 40-point pace that P.K. Subban put up last year, maybe that's, like, his upside at this point? And, you know, not the floor that we were expecting him to be able to jump off from now that he's on the Devils? Like, are you worried about that at all? Like, maybe he's just not as good as he used to be. 
40 points is still his floor, and I don't think it's his upside. Elon, you're skipping the headline here, which is the New Jersey Devils have combined for nine goals in five games. And if the Devils have only scored nine goals, how many points should we reasonably expect Subban to have picked up on those? Three points? Four points? And on the power play, the Devils are 0 for 15, which is where we really expected to see Subban's production get a jump start. So you can already hear me asking for calm, Elon, when we talk about Subban's start to the year. I know you feel like giving up on him and you sort of voice this on the almanac. I no, know. Not true. Yeah. Not true. You, yeah, you did because he, he's not been great in Nashville and he's getting older and you're just like, does he have that extra gear? Like this question for you isn't so new. Like I know you were excited about him going to New Jersey and agreed that it was better than Nashville. But I think when I put up uh, my like 60-ish point thought on him... You were like, no, like that's, we don't know. We don't know that he can still do that. And I would love to see him get the opportunity to do it in New Jersey. So the question is, is he getting that opportunity so far? And the answer is yes. In a way, his role on the power play as a devil is there so far. He's averaging three minutes and 42 seconds per night with the man advantage, which is somewhere between his Nashville deployment and his Montreal deployment, which is a good start. But the curious part of it is that Subban is not shooting the puck at all the way he did in Montreal. Just one lone power play shot so far in his first five games with New Jersey. In that time, Taylor Hall has taken seven. Then Nikita Gusev has taken four. Simmons and Palmieri have taken three. So I don't know that he's going to get to be this bombs away power play quarterback that he got to be in Montreal. Keep in mind, when he was in Montreal, you had Pacioretty. And that's about it for other players who you want shooting on your power play. Subban often doubled the number of shots that other forwards on that top unit had in Montreal. And for good reason, because there was no Taylor Hall in the picture there. So we're going to see if P.K. Subban not taking a lot of shots on the power play is by design or just an early quirk, or maybe it is by design. And it's something that's going to be adjusted because it's not working right now. Right? Like the best hope Subban owners have is that the Devils continue to fail on their next three or four power plays and say, okay, it's time to change things up. PK, you fire away from the point. Another thing about Subban as a Devil moving back to five on five is that he has this super low pace. And when I say pace, I'm not talking points. Uh, pace is a word we can use to describe just how many shot attempts are happening while Subban is on the ice. And there aren't many for, and there aren't many against. They're like both in the mid 40s, where you would expect numbers around 55, 60 uh, shot attempts per 60 minutes, either for and or against. So it's going to, it's kind of weird uh, that the pace is so low. And again, I don't know if this is by design or just an early season quirk for the Devils, uh, but it's another reason to think that what we're seeing from Subban early this year isn't what we're going to see him from him the rest of the way. And that's why I'm going to be poking around to see if I can reasonably buy low on PK Subban because we haven't seen much out of the Devils offense yet, but I'm confident that once we do, Subban is going to be a part of it. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's funny that you said, like, the best thing that could happen to him is that the power play is terrible and they change it up. But, like, another way that goes is that he just gets bumped from that power play and they get Will Butcher back no on No way. Him. 
I mean, okay, I just think, like, again, you're, like, now mischaracterizing me as saying, like, I'm, like, super down on P.K. Subban. I'm just not as super high on him as people, you know, talking about 60-plus points. Maybe we are just looking at, like, a 45-point defenseman, which isn't that bad. And I know we all love P.K. Subban. He's such a great guy. But, uh, you know, these Montreal years that you keep talking about, it's already, like, five years ago almost. Like, this is a long time ago. This guy's in his 30s. He's had some injury issues. Like, these, I'm sorry, Brian, like, with these Minnesota players, like, at some point, these players slow down. And I'm not going to be expecting 60-point P.K. Subban until I start seeing some glimpses. And if you're going to try to buy low on him, like, I think it's good advice. Obviously, he's not this bad. And even like a 45, maybe 50 point defenseman is valuable. But like, to our listeners, like, I just, I wouldn't want to spend too much on someone that it's been a couple years now since he's been, you know, fantasy relevant to a significant extent. I hear you. And I don't think we'll ever see Montreal PK in full again. Like, that was the peak of his career, and he was getting incredible deployment, and the whole system worked around him. But I'm already happy that, you know, you started by asking me, is his upside what we thought his floor was at 40? And then you snuck up to 45, and then you just said 45, 50. Yes, he's in his 30s, but so are we, Elon, and we're not slowing down. Like, we're, we're okay. I think we're doing okay. You mentioned Jeff Carter, by the way. You were were mentioning those Minnesota players and how aging curves happen. Like, Jeff Carter went from 66 points, uh, and then he was almost a point per game, 22 points in 27 games as a 33-year-old before he got injured and missed the rest of the season. Then he had 33 points in 76 games last year, which is too big a drop. Like, there were were contextual factors to be considering coming back from an injury, a garbage coach and team situation. Like, when... We're talking about aging curves. We don't say 60 points and then 40 points, right? You see a drop. Uh, generally, you see a steady decline. Players like Corey Perry or Danny Heatley are the exception just because of their playing style. Like when you have these shooters and Bobby Ryan who can't totally skate all that well, but they're really great, you know, when they can get to an open space and fire it off, that's perfect. But they that ability goes really quickly when shooting, like having a, a that, that quick shot is their one dimension. Uh, but you're generally seeing in the case of Eric Stahl, 60 points, 55, 50, 45. Like it's, it's much more gradual than you're letting on. I just, that that's my example of an aging curve that I think it helps to clarify. I mean, that's fair, but I also think there are a lot of exceptions, and some of these players might be exceptions. Like, the league is also changing. It's younger, it's faster. Like, it might not be the same as, you know, back when you got into the podcasting game five, six years ago. So we'll we'll adapt. We'll see. You're saying, that I've, you're saying that I've stopped looking at research and data and statistics in the five, six years since we've started the podcast? No, nah, I'm just making jokes. I don't know. You're probably right. What, what do you want me to say? Like, uh, Subban, I don't think he's a 60-point guy. Uh, let's just uh, wait and see. We'll, we'll swing back to him and those other devils like Gusev and, uh, you know, even Taylor Hall at some point, uh, you know, in a few weeks if the devils are still struggling. And we'll see, like, if we need to adjust our expectations. We also spend considerable time in our almanac marveling at these 30-year-old players. In fact, you were the one making the argument that players can stay good for longer because of, like, better conditioning and training. And we were talking about all these guys, like, I mean, they were super elite, like Crosby and Giroux, who saw more minutes and fantastic production, like, better than they had in recent years. Uh, I mean, Stahl and Jeff Carter and P.K. Subban aren't necessarily the same tier of elite, but they're still better than most NHL players, or they were at one point in their career. I think we can we can afford them some slack. 
Okay, so we'll give them some slack, but at the same time, we got to try to win our fantasy leagues this year, so I'm bringing it up, and I also don't think you could just group everyone together. Every player is a unique situation. P.K. Subban, I brought up an injury concern. You know, there's other things to consider. Eric Stahl, uh, you know, whatever. I don't want to talk about these guys. we got to get through all these disappointing players, because I want to be excited at the end of the show and get people, you know, excited about some players that they might be able to add from free agency if they decide they want to drop some of these guys, but the sad train still must go on for a little longer, Brian. Like with Subban, I'm not loving what I'm seeing from Oliver Eck and Larson, who we thought maybe could get a bump from Phil Kessel joining the fold. Like he's been a 40 to 45 point guy forever. And we said in the Almanac, well, the Kessel's there on the power play. This should be great. But nope. So far, through four games, OEL has one assist to show for himself, which he picked up on a Grabner goal in the 3-2 overtime loss to Colorado yesterday. This Coyotes team is not looking like they've improved their scoring prowess at all. And Oliver Ekman Larson is not inspiring the least bit of confidence that he could even match his 44 points from last season. And of course, Ekman Larson, he isn't alone. Like Phil Kessel, the one who we thought was going to be the savior, only one assist in four games. Derek Stepan, just one goal. Clayton Keller, he has three assists, which is nice. But Brian, like, do you foresee us getting to a point where we may have to suggest that it's not worth owning any Coyotes in fantasy aside from the goalies? And if yes, like, how far away are we from that moment if these guys continue on the paces that they're currently on? I don't know we're going to get to that point. We know Arizona is a not a terribly offensive team. And so we definitely need to check assumptions at the door that anyone is going to stand out in a really marvelous way. Uh, We certainly pointed out that 32-year-old Kessel coming to the team isn't going to fix things on his own. And of course, Nick Schmaltz is not getting the deployment you'd hoped for going into the season. Uh, All that said, seven goals in four games for the Coyotes probably is not going to be the norm in the desert. They're shooting just over 5%. And that includes on the power play, where they're 0 for 9 to begin the year. And I'm saying they're shooting just over 5%. That's bad, okay? Around 9% is a a lovely place to find your team shooting. Even if you're not shooting that well, about 7.5% is reasonable. So the Coyotes should be doing better. Uh, And those are 5-on-5 numbers, too. So lift them a little bit to account for the power play. uh, And you'll see the Coyotes are behind. But in an unsustainable way, they're going to do better. I think it's kind of a sneaky buy-low time for Arizona, though I will voice my continued concern that the Coyotes might choose to remain very much defense-first in their approach, which is going to limit the offensive upside of anyone who plays for them, regardless of how good they are on their own. Like if you're Clayton Keller or if you're Phil Kessel. But Arizona's shot rates and expected goals are like mid-pack-ish healthy, and they have that low shooting percentage. So I'm not at all ready to say that seven goals in four games is who the Coyotes are. Uh, Their goals being left on the table early on that are going to come eventually... When they do, you can enjoy your Keller and Kessel. Then the rest is kind of a crapshoot, but Ekman Larson and Stepan should at least be reasonably relevant. Ekman Larson more so than Stepan, but there's still reason to hold Coyote skaters. Yeah, for now. I don't know. We'll have to touch base again. In <laughs> I a know you want to drop all these guys. And, and like the answer here, like for the Minnesota players uh, and the Coyotes, uh, it all depends on who's available in free agency, right? In shallower leagues, yeah, drop. Ekman Larson, drop Phil Kessel, uh, drop Eric Stahl especially. Like, he's definitely the lowest uh, on the low end of, of all the players we've talked about so far today that you might want to drop. Uh, it, it's all relative, but you sh- you could be considering these guys to be at the low end of your roster. Like, if, you dro- if you're someone who dropped Paul Stasny early on in the season, dropping these guys makes some measure of sense too. But I think they're in better shape still than Stasny was when we all dropped him. 
Well, yeah, the thing with Stasny, we'll get to him in a bit when we're talking about the happy players. We, he was getting dropped because he was playing on the third line. Now he's back yeah. on the second line. So now you feel like a dummy if you dropped him because and now he's going to probably play with Mark Stone for the rest of the season and someone else is going to enjoy that production after you drafted him. We'll get to that with these Coyotes guys like Stepan and Keller and Kessel are getting top deployment and still doing nothing. So I feel like it's a different situation. And yeah, we could wait a little longer. You're saying maybe they're due for a few more goals. I sure hope so because Phil Kessel, you know, we talked all summer about how like he was a big part of that Pittsburgh power power play but like Pittsburgh seems to be doing okay and Phil Kessel so far nothing so hopefully he can start to spark that Arizona power play make Oliver Ekman Larson worth holding as well as Kessel himself and then Brian I did mention that the Coyotes that you for sure want to hold are their goalies Antti Ranta finally played yesterday his first game of the year he was solid stopping 29 of 32 and actually you know Brian how I don't like counting overtime goals against when judging how well a goalie played like overall you see oh he let in three goals on 32 shots that's like fine but he actually did a lot better it's just that third goal that he let in was in overtime which is a much harder shot to stop so Ranta trust me he played well if you were watching the game Darcy Kemper sporting a sparkling 957 save percentage through the three games that he's played uh, where are we standing with this goalie situation now? Ranta's back, but at this point, I feel like I just want to assume it's going to be a 50-50 split with great save percentage in low-scoring games. Like, Are you still of the mind that Ranta has the job? It's his job to either hold or win pretty easily? Uh, or do you think at this point, like Kemper has proven that he's really good and it's probably just going to be 50-50 and they'll go one then the other without either of them jumping up in games played? No, I'm with you. That it looks to me like it's going to be a 50-50 split. Darcy Kemper has come out very strong with a 9.57 save percentage over his first three games played. Uh, so way to go, Darcy Kemper. Really proving that he can at least handle the timeshare. Uh, you know, we had Kat Silverman on during our auction draft episode, and she had a lot of really lovely things to say about the way he's progressed in his career, which, you know, throws into into doubt my standing theory or at least it was my standing theory for a while that goalies don't improve what you see is what you get but like it sounded silly always but I didn't have a whole lot of counter examples and Darcy Kemper is proving uh to be one that might make me reconsider you know he trained in a different way he got a new coach new support system great good for Darcy Kemper and I think he has pushed Auntie Ranta out of being a surefire number one and into a 1A-1B split. And the 1A might even be Darcy Camper. Yeah, and plus, Auntie Ranta, very injury-prone, as we've seen. So hopefully his injury troubles are behind him. But if somehow Camper is available to you, which I, I doubt he is, but right, like the minute Ranta goes down, you definitely want to jump on Camper. But either way, you probably just want to have both of these guys. They're probably going to give you good save percentages and goals against averages when they play because they're such a low-scoring team, but they play very low-scoring games. Brian, another defenseman who, again, wasn't great last year, but you thought, oh, he'll be fine, he'll be fine. It didn't happen. Just like P.K. Subban, we got to talk about Shane Gosses-Beher. Only three games so far for Phillies. They've played like the fewest games of all the teams, uh, but no points for Gossespeher. Still seeing less than that 20 minutes per game that I was concerned about at the end of last season. It's the new, it's new coach, same ghost, as opposed to new coach, new Kovey. Um, we're also talking like one shot per game so far for Ghost Bear, uh, and either like a hit or a block in each of those games. So, like no peripherals, low minutes, no points. He's still on that top power play, but man, like this is a tough guy to have reached for in a draft, expecting a bounce back and then watching this so far. Like again, only 37 points in 78 games last season. Brian, is this like Subban territory where you're just going to tell me that Elon, get your head out of your butt. Like this guy's great and you don't need to give up on him after only three games. Or do you see reasons for concern? I'm not as sure about Gossis Bear as I am about Subban, but 
Let's just uh, let's take a look at another Philadelphia Flyer uh, who's struggled out of the gate. He has just one assist in three games. He's down three minutes of ice time, and his name is Claude Giroux, okay? So let's just take it easy when we're talking about the Flyers. I guess it is kind of facetious of me to bring it up that way um, because Ghost Despair is not looking as good as Giroux is elsewhere uh, in his numbers. Ghost Despair is showing essentially zero signs that would point to the bounce back we're hoping for. But we do need to remember that Philadelphia had this super weird start to the season in their schedule. Like, not the way they're playing, although the way they're playing is a little weird, uh, but their schedule. They've only played three times. They opened the season in Prague. Then they flew home for one game, and then they flew to Vancouver? The NHL's had them travel a ton to begin the year, and I feel like that's a piece of this time-on-ice puzzle with Giroux and Gostisbehere, and Jacob Voracek also down to 15 and a half minutes per game, a three-minute drop since last year, uh, which is not going to sustain. I feel like this is all just about managing health and wellness amongst players through this really strange schedule quirk to begin the year. Uh, it is a fine sign that Gosses Bear is still seeing the majority of his team's power play time, though it's not quite as much as it's been in past years. I don't know. You know, it's, it, it's been such a wonky start to the season. I think we need to give Philadelphia another week before trying to figure out if they're meeting or blowing our expectations. Uh, Gosses Bear early returns are not great, though. And if I did have him and there were some interesting defensemen available in free agency, I might consider letting him go just until he shows something because I don't think anyone else is going to race to grab him after what he did essentially all of last season. There's the risk he's going to do it all over again this season. Yeah. But not the same with P.K. Subban. But that's because Subban is in a new situation. Gosses Behar, same situation, and he didn't produce last year. That's why I wouldn't also compare him to Claude Giroux. Sure, Claude Giroux's struggling a little bit out of the gate, but he gave us like 100 points last year or so. Yeah. I think that we could probably give him a pass for now. Uh, though there is another defenseman on the team who's doing fantastically. Ivan Provorov has three points, uh, two of them from the second power play, which means he's kind of good on the power play. So that could also be someone that could challenge Gosses Behar for that top power play time if he continues to struggle. And like like you said, though, it's, it's very early. Uh, we've got like Voracek and JVR. Both of them are pointless in three games so far. I won't bug you about them yet, but definitely guys will need to address soon if they're still pointless come next week's show or a couple weeks from now once we've got a decent sample of games. On the positive side, along with Provorov, how about Travis Konechny? Three goals, two assists in three games now. He's actually been a big beneficiary of what we talked about last week of Sean Couturier getting bumped to the second line and second power play. Now Travis Konechny gets to play with Sean Couturier full-time along with Oscar Lindblom at even strengthen on the power play. Is Konechny for real? Like, if he's still available, do people need to add this guy before it's too late? Like, a great start. He had a great pedigree coming into the league. He had stretches of being good over the past couple of seasons. Maybe this is the year he finally puts it all together, and this is your last chance to get him. We liked Konechny in our almanac. We put him in the mid-50s, but so far he's already showing to be uh, maybe a little bit better. And, you know, it is a little hypocritical of me to want to reserve judgment on players like Gossesbeard and say, let's wait and see uh, when they're not doing what I think they do. And then for players like Konechny, be like, oh, yeah, yeah, these three games definitely show that he can be counted on. Uh, I, I do think, though, that this is the real thing from Travis Konechny, kind of. You know, he scored three times on seven shots. He's assisted on every power play goal scored while he's been on the ice. None of those things will sustain. But as we said before, I think Konechny's a legit player. And he's been one of those guys in Philadelphia who's been asked to play more minutes while we see the minute counts of uh, Giroux and Voracek tumble a little bit early in the season, which, again, I think is just a travel issue. But 
Something to keep a close eye on. I'm happy to see Konechny succeed in any case, and I think a 55-point pace should come to him this year. With upside to even hit 60, uh, I love that he's playing with Couturier, but he's still in a good spot, even if he does end up landing with Kevin Hayes and, like, Jacob Voracek on the other side. Yeah, yeah, you'd expect good line mates for sure, unless he falls into the bottom six, which has happened, but not looking like it's going to happen this year. Uh, Brian, also, I think we may have gotten Carter Hart's goalie tier wrong when we were doing our Schmore goalies, but we had them in tier four. So far, Carter Hart's looking great. Philly, you know, even with all this travel issue, they won their first two games. Like, they're looking good. They lost in, I, I guess, it was a shootout yesterday to Vancouver. Uh, so I would want to move him up. I know I, I didn't prep you in advance to talk about Carter Hart, but I just wanted to throw his name out there. He's looking like a really solid starting goalie in the league. No concern about Brian Elliott. He's the for sure starter. Philly's looking good. Uh, I really like this guy. I would have him in at least tier three. And uh, have you changed your mind at all about Carter Hart yet? Are you still thinking that he's like someone that you can't really depend on fully? I'm waiting to see. I'm not going to change my mind after three games, but the early returns, like you said, are are good. I'd love to see that he can handle a number one workload this year and put up uh, even a league average save percentage would be a a win in my books. Okay. Brian, you want to bet on whether he'll have above or below average save percentage? I'll even give you a couple extra percentage points. I know better than to bet on goalies. Okay, well, you could choose to bet or not bet on goalies with our sponsor, our other sponsor for this episode, which are our friends over at MyBookie. I actually don't think you could bet on what Carter Hart's save percentage will be, but you can bet on a whole bunch of other things. Last week, we talked about how they have the NHL trophies that you could bet on, like who's going to win the Carter, who's going to win the Art Ross or the Hart, so that's a lot of fun. You could obviously also bet on just NHL games that are happening day in, day out. It's a lot of fun. You know, like, obviously, today's Sunday. This is a really exciting day in the Fantasy Hockey Week, especially the end of the first matchup if you're in a close matchup you're gonna be watching these games tonight super closely your blood is gonna be just pumping throughout your body with excitement but sometimes at the beginning of the week you, you don't get that excitement but you can with a you know you put a little scratch down on the game makes it a little more fun and if you're gonna want to bet on a game you definitely want to do it with our sponsor my bookie because they're a reliable place where you can place your bets know that they're gonna have all the proper checks and balances in place to make sure you get paid out appropriately like when you're betting it's just as important to like bet on the right teams, but also to bet at the right place. And my bookie is that place. Brian, we also have a special offer for our listeners. You can get a double deposit bonus. So if you see a thing you really like, you could put in like $20 and then bet $40 on that team and get the full payout. Even though you only spent 20 bucks, you get a double deposit bonus. All you have to do is use the promo code Keeping Carlson. Uh, Brian, I don't know. I'm looking uh, tonight. There's three games. Penguins at the Jets, Flames at the Sharks, and Golden Knights at the Kings. I might just uh, pick a winner for each of those games, make a little parlay where you bet a little and you can win a lot if you get all three right. That's a a lot of fun. So uh, check it out, mybookie.ag. And again, that's promo code KEEPINGCARLSON. I know, Brian, I just kept saying your name a bunch of times, but I didn't actually throw to you uh, any thoughts on any of these bets that I was referencing. No, just a fun fact that in French, parlay means to speak. There you go. And at MyBookieAG, uh, parlay means to bet on multiple things at <laughs> once, and then you win if you get them all right, and you get a multiplier of all of their odds. Okay. So now we're learning a lot of languages all around the world. Let's MyBookie.ag. Visit it today. Yeah. Offer code keeping Carlson. So, okay. Just a couple more disappointing players, and then we can get to the, hot, to the fun stuff, to the hot streaks. Okay. But uh, the Islanders, uh, Matt Barzal and Anders Lee, both with only two points apiece through five games. Do you have any worries there? I feel like it's just very hard to imagine either of them being much better than their, you know, Barzal had around 60 points last year. Lee had around 50 points last year. I don't know, like Barzal, you know, in his 
his first year, he had that point per game pace. He had Tavares on the first line. He centered the second line, but he was on the top power play with Tavares. And like, it's just not the case anymore. And I don't know. I'm starting to lose faith in Barzal being able to be anything more than a 60 point guy on this Islanders team, which isn't very offensively capable. Like, I think he's a good player, but I'm not excited about him in fantasy. I think Barzal needs someone to set up and that someone should be Anders Lee. Unfortunately, hasn't been clicking so far this year. In fact, Elon, what you've done a lot this episode is you've done a really fantastic job of naming the top players on teams that just aren't scoring goals yet. The Islanders are amongst that group. They have just 11 goals in five games, which is not very good. It will get better. Maybe not miles better, but better enough that Barzal and Anders Lee still have a shot at our preseason almanac projections, which were 68 points for Barzal, 58 points for Lee. At least those were mine. Uh, I know you don't believe in Lee quite as much as I do, but it's too early to write these guys off when their team has yet to really find the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, I'm not writing them off, but I think I'm going to go closer to 60 and 50 as opposed to you being closer to 70 and 60, a little bit below. So yeah, Uh, another quick one, then we'll move on to the hot streaks. Uh, Mike Green on Detroit. He's pointless in five games so far, and Detroit's been scoring a lot of goals. Mike Green, remember, he had a 50-point pace last season in the games he played before he got into all those injury troubles. Uh, He's seeing the least percentage of power play time in his career. He's only been on the ice for 36.2% of Red Wings power play time this year, so he's entrenched on that second unit, which is a lot worse than the first unit. Like, does that pretty much explain it? Is there any hope here aside from, like, if for some reason Hronik and Chalowski see the top power play to Mike Green? Can you just let him go? Is he done with being a fantasy relevant defenseman at this point? I had a little bit of regret when I did not end up with Mike Green on any of my fantasy rosters. He was always available late in my drafts and even in free agency. And I just couldn't really pull the trigger, which is how I felt last year. And then I paid the price for it as he ended up being fantastic. And uh, I ended up having to trade for him instead of just getting him for free. Uh, But this year, I feel like I'm not going to feel exactly so bad about not having Green on my roster. He's seeing almost 90 seconds more of ice at five on five each night, which is probably not what you expected me to say. Uh, That's great that he's seeing more five on five ice time. And with his five on five scoring, he could still be a fringe relevant fantasy player. Last year, he had 18 five on five points in 43 games, which is a really good pace, right? That's almost a 35 points or so at even strength. You pop on another 10, at least on the power play that gets you to 45. But to really be worth owning, Mike Green does need that power play scoring. And that doesn't seem to be something that the Red Wings uh, are keen on prioritizing early on. And if you think about it for a minute, why would they? Why not let Chalowski and Ronick get their reps in, build for the future? There's not a whole lot of sense in having Mike Green up there, really, in a year where the Red Wings are not expected to make the playoffs and are just trying to, you know, build and develop their team to make runs for future seasons. So while I wouldn't say Green is going to be awful all year, his upside is limited to 35, 40 points, maybe, if he's not a regular on the top power play. Right. So then it's just up to you to decide if that's worthwhile in your league or not. Uh, he's been okay with peripherals. I guess that extra ice time is helping him get a few more like blocks and, and shots. But yeah, nothing going in so far. He's not going to be pointless forever. So if you decide to drop him, don't be surprised if then he gets an assist in the next game. You're like, oh, why did I drop him? But like, that's what's going to happen. He's not going to go pointless in 10 games. I don't think. Correct me if I'm wrong when it happens. All right. So Brian, 
Let's end this sad section of the podcast. Put it in the back of your mind. If you have any of these players we've talked about, now you can start thinking about other players that might be available for you to add or, I don't know, trade for. Though I guess you don't want to buy high on any of these guys on super hot streaks. But I'd love to get your thoughts on some of these players that are coming out of the gate super strong and whether you think they can keep it up. And I want to start right in Winnipeg with Patrick Laine loving his new lot in life on the top line with Shifley and Wheeler. Even with his pointless game yesterday, Laine is up to three goals and seven assists in six games. Game so far, you know, he said in the offseason, there was that interview, which then was apparently like misquoted or something, but he was saying he was like disappointed that he didn't get to play on the top line. Looks like maybe that was part of the contract negotiation. Who knows? But he's there. He's loving it. He's doing great. Brian, is this enough to get us back to thinking of Line a as the stud that we saw him as going into last season? Like, can we just throw away that weird end to the year last year where he wasn't getting points at all and just go back to saying this is a potential 50 goal, 80 point score year in, year out. And if you have him in your league, you got to hold on for dear life. That's what we all want to do. Uh, I'm getting there. I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. A big piece of the reason why Line is suddenly looking like himself again. He's got two more minutes of five-on-five ice time to work with and a world-class centerman. And it's a wonder what those two things can do for a goal scorer, right? Uh, They're, I think, really the driver here uh, behind those early season points that Liney's putting up, along with a return to form and his shooting percentage is back up around 18%, which sounds high, and it is, but he's a guy who we expect to shoot, uh, you know, like 16% isn't unreasonable, whereas last year he was stuck at 7 and 8% a lot of the time. Uh, the one thing that still concerns me about Liney is that his rate sets are actually worse than they'd been in the past couple years. So we've got to wait and see how things balance out. It could be a good time to explore selling high, but I honestly doubt you'll get a whole lot. There's probably more value in just keeping Liney, especially if you got him at a really reasonable price at your draft. I'm optimistic. I, like, I never thought he left, right? I think he had a really rough season last year. We couldn't really explain it away. I think he's still got big 40 goal scoring seasons ahead of him it's just a matter of how soon he can get back on track and playing with Shifley and playing more often is a really great way to help get him started getting there yeah, I definitely feel like playing on that top line is like a big part of the difference. Like maybe he's not the best play driver, but if he is playing with Shifley and Wheeler, he doesn't necessarily need to bring the puck into the zone and like whatever. He just needs to finish all of these great plays and he's doing a great job at it. And I don't, I don't mean to diminish, like he's a really great player and I'm excited about him, but there is always that risk. You never know, right? He could get bumped from the top line and all of a sudden he slows down. Though right now, the Jets are looking good, so I'm sure they're not going to change anything now. Look at Connor Hellebuck and the D. They've really turned it around since last week when we were we're like, oh, this Jets team is looking terrible. But over the last three games, Connor Hellebuck's only let in five goals total, all wins. Uh, perhaps uh, we overreacted a little bit. I was definitely saying, like, I'm very nervous about Connor Hellebuck. Also, Laurent Brossois was getting starts. This whole team was seeming to get caved in defensively. And, you know, you just look at the names that left over the offseason. I was really concerned. Last three games, looking good. But of course, this could just be the calm before the storm, and this might be people's best chance to sell high on Connor Hellebuck before it's too late, because I don't totally not still feel those concerns that I felt last week. Like, this has been a great week, but the Jets' D still looks pretty thin. So yeah, I... I'm very curious to know what you think about Connor Hellebuck and if you think that what we were thinking last week was the right thing, or if what we're seeing now is more of the right thing. Oh, my thoughts are pretty much unchanged from last week, that 
Winnipeg has a tall task ahead of them, and hopefully Hellebuck is up to the challenge. They don't actually seem to have improved a whole lot under the hood over the last couple games, so there's not a lot to say. Like, you know, this is not a redemption story about Winnipeg figuring things out on the back end and suddenly being okay there. Uh, That's not what happened, but the Jets are getting goals, and they are getting goaltending, both of which can certainly make things just look good on their own. So I'm not about to go around saying that the Jets are back the way they've been the last couple years. I don't think they're as good as they were the last couple seasons. That's not a hot take either. It's going to be more of a struggle for them to win games this year, but they're also not going to fall flat on their face. I trust that they have enough talent to figure things out, but it's not going to come easy or as easy as it did the last few years. Yeah, I don't know. If it was me, I definitely feel like I agree with you. And I might be trying to see what I can get for Hellebuck. Like in a one-year league, I wonder if you could get like a Bobrovsky or Carey Price who, you know, haven't been as great so far to start the year. I would definitely look to try to make a trade like that if you can. Obviously, don't sell too low because he is he should be a good goalie. And the Jets, like you said, score a lot of goals. But I am concerned about them defensively. And then, Brian, we already drooled a bunch last week over the Carolina Hurricanes. But like, I just feel like we have to talk about them again. Like, even though they lost to Columbus yesterday, I'm going to cut them some slack was the second half of a back-to-back, their first loss of the season. And there's like, we named a bunch of players doing well last week. And I feel like there's still players that we didn't highlight that we definitely need to, especially Dougie Hamilton, who is finally starting a season strong. Like the story we always know with Hamilton is he starts slow, picks it up at the end of the year. Not this year. He's got four goals and four assists in six games. And by the way, that's with three power play points from the top power play. And that's right. You didn't mishear me. Dougie Hamilton and his power play unit with Dzingel, Haula, Svechnikov, and Tara Vinen, that definitely is the Carolina Hurricanes' top power play. They've seen the highest percentage of power play time in each of the last four games. I know you would think, no, the Sebastian Ajo unit is the top power play. This is the second power play. No, it's not the case. Look at the, the time on ice that tells you the story. So all of a sudden, we have Dougie Hamilton as a top power play defenseman, and he's killing it. And anyone who was able to get him a little late in your drafts, you're enjoying it now because he is looking like one of the top like elite defensemen in the league right now. You'll have to cool me down if you think I'm being too high on him. And of course, all these players that I said that are on this power play with Hamilton are enjoying this development. Like Svechnikov, eight points so far in six games, three power play points. So he's definitely taking off the way, you know, obviously we hoped he would do last year, but he was, what what was he, 18? Like whatever. Now he's like a year older. This could be the big breakout for Svechnikov and you'll be really happy if you drafted him, especially in a keeper league. Tara Vinen, six points on the year in six games. Dezingle, five points. Howla five points. All goals, by the way, for Howla. A couple of them on the power play. Uh, so yeah, now that we're seeing that these guys I just mentioned are getting top power play deployment, they become guys that you definitely need to consider adding if they're somehow still available in free agency. Like maybe Dezingle and Howla are still there, and I'm even higher on them now than I was last week, now that I'm seeing that they are getting this great power play deployment along with their great even strength deployment. Yeah, we signaled that you might be interested in Dezingle and Howla on last week's show, and we hope you took advantage. Uh, They're probably gone by now, especially after they just had that great game. I think it was Saturday night, but time is getting a little blurry for me. Um, So yeah, Dezingle, Howla, Svechnikov, Hamilton, all for real, all maybe seeing, you know point or two more than they should have at this point, but there's really nothing to get down about uh, when you see how well that top power play unit is clicking, that they are getting a really good chunk of time with the man advantage, and they're all in good, good situations at even strength too. 
Yeah, like this team is riding just such a really nice top nine. It's something that we talked about in, I think it was Minnesota, like three years ago or something, where it was just like all three of their lines were players worth owning. And it looks like it here, like they got Stahl, Svechnikov, Brock McGinn, Aho, Niederreiter, and Teravainen, then Dezingle, Haula, and Martin Nichas. Like I think there's arguments we made to add all of these guys. They're all killing it. And yeah, like a couple other players I'll mention, like Jacob Slavin, by the way, riding a five-game point streak. Even without power play time, this guy is doing just fine. Then you have Jordan Stahl, just had a three-game point streak ended yesterday in a game where he totally made up for it with three shots and eight hits. So I feel like last week we talked about Jacob Slavin as someone who, yeah, goes hot and then goes cold. Seems like maybe now, if he's still somehow there and we're apologies, we apologize if he's not, like, I think you definitely want to grab him and ride this streak. Like, this Carolina team, to me, seems like something special. And also Jordan Stahl, if he's still out there, grab him, especially if your league counts hits. I think he's going to be good for, you know, around 50-point pace, plus, like, all these peripherals. Like, this is a guy you want on your team. We said it before about Stahl and Slavin, and, you know, we've seen it before, and we'll see it again. Go ahead and stream them while they're doing well, but don't go making any long-term sacrifices for these guys. These are streams, and they're not players that you're going to want to have on your team all the way through. You're going to expect to drop them again uh, for somebody else, the new hotness in free agency. So just keep that in mind. When you are trying to fit them into your roster, don't go uh, making any big long-term sacrifice to do so. Yeah, I agree with you. But I'll say I agree with you like 80%. Like, I don't think it's like a guarantee that you're going to end up dropping Stahl or Slavin. Like, I think this Carolina team might just be something special. Like, probably you won't be holding on to them all season, but like, it's possible. So like, yeah, like don't sacrifice anything to get them, like anything big, but also don't just like drop them because you want to have a stream next week. You know, like definitely ride this out for as long as it lasts yeah. and hope it goes, yeah, for months. Okay. Uh, and then on the other hand... Brian, uh, I guess I gotta ask, Sebastian Ajo owners, do they need to be at least a little concerned about his slow start and him not being on the top power play, or are you still not worried in the slightest? He only has one goal in six games amidst all the rest of the fun, and I know he's taking shots, and so you'll say that, you know, he should be due for a few more goals, but I have to say I am concerned about this development of him not being on the top power play. Is he really not on the top power play? I mean, I'm looking at the minutes. Look at the minutes. He's not playing a lot of power play time. Right, so I see that, and I see that one unit is really clicking, but I think the unit with Sebastian Ajo on it is going to consistently have the better chance of scoring, uh, although Dougie Hamilton might be a difference maker uh, if he sticks with his unit and Ajo keeps playing with, I guess it's Jake Gardner right now. Uh, but Ajo looks really good. Like, I, I, there's a couple alarms you can sound right now, right? It's the power play situation and the fact that he is not scoring any points, right? But Ajo's kind of like Tomas Hurdle, uh, who we spoke about at the top of the episode where you never know it from Aho's scoring totals, but his underlying numbers show a player in Aho who may have found a new gear and I'm dying to know if it's sustainable. Huge shot rate and expected goal rate gain so far this year for Sebastian Ajo. And even, you know, you look at his counting numbers, 25 shots in six games and he scored on just one that's okay. His usual shooting percentage would have him sitting with about three goals by now. So let's not get too down on Sebastian Ajo. He's doing a lot of things right. He's also only pointed on a single goal of the seven that have been scored while he's on the ice at all strengths. That's going to correct on its own too. He's going to get more involved. He's going to need to be more involved. So zero concerns from me about what Sebastian Ajo is capable of. Uh, I feel like at worst, I don't see him on power play too. I know that's how the time management is looking, that there's a clear one and two unit, but I think maybe there's going to be a 1A and a 1B power play unit, and Aho is going to 
be just fine producing from one of those. Maybe if this 1A, 1B situation does hold, uh, that I'm calling it that even before we've gotten there, but that's what I expect it to be. He doesn't match his 24 power play points from last year. That's a bit of a concern. Uh, so maybe he falls a little short of a point per game, but he's still going to be a heck of a player. And if you could buy low at this point by pointing out to somebody that he's not on the top unit or apparently he's not on the top unit, man, I'd be all over that. Yeah, I mean, everything you're saying makes sense. I just look at, like, the last three games, we're talking less than 30% of the power play time. So it's definitely not currently a 1A, 1B. I know that's what you're, like, imagining in your head is what they should do. But also, Carolina's killing it. So I don't know if they're going to be taking your advice about how they should be changing up how they're using their power plays. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you. Like, definitely, if you could buy low, go for it. But last year, he had 83 points with 24 on the power play. I could see him being closer to a 70-point guy if what happens now holds for the rest of the year, which is still really good. But obviously, there's a difference between a 70-point guy and an 80-point guy. But but also, things can change. So you never know. I don't even know what the lesson is here. I'd be a little worried, but not so worried, I guess. And I think you agree. So That's the lesson for every player this episode. No, I would be very worried about some of those Minnesota Wild players <laughs> and Jonathan Quick. And like, it wasn't for all of them. Yeah, okay. Uh, but no, we were supposed to be talking about happy things now. So people at home, try to guess. And Brian, you can try to guess if you don't remember from reading in my notes. Try to guess the number of players in the Nashville Predators that have at least five points in their five games. Brian, do you remember? I do. Okay, well, then I'll just tell everyone's had a chance to guess seven of them. There are seven players on Nashville who are at or above a point per game five games into the season. This is another team, obviously, with a lot of really good players that you might want to consider looking at if they're still somehow in free agency. Sure, the Preds lost 7-4 to the Kings yesterday, but that doesn't take away from the fact that they are killing it offensively. We've got Duchesne, Forsberg, and Johansson with 9-7 and 7 points, respectively. Then Arvidsson, Ekholm, Josie, Ellis, all with five points. Brian, are you trying to sell high on any of these guys? Or do you think this is all like pretty much for real? Would it be too hot a take to say that I think, at least like Duchesne and Forsberg, I think both of them are going to breach 80 points this season. And then the rest also looking really good. So yeah, any names jumping out at you as like sell high or unsustainable? Or are the Preds just this good and they're going to keep getting all these points? I think it's all a, a little high. I think it's a little soon to declare Duchesne and Forsberg 80-point players. It's not out of the question. The upside is there, but I'm not say, I, I'm not convinced it's a likely scenario at this point. The bet, Predators let's have bet on th- it. I'm so sure. I'm so sure about it. Really? Yeah. Okay. Duchesne Let- it was, it was like almost a point-per-game player last year. I think he was on the Sens. And then Forsberg, you know, he had a down year last year, but he's looking like a real all-star. Like, I'm super stoked about those guys. Sorry to interrupt. Okay, I just wanted to throw that out there. I won't talk no, about it. No, it's okay. You, you projected Duchesne at 67 points in the Almanac, but three or four games in, you're, you're ready to just add 13? Yeah. Yep, exactly. <laughs> You've nailed it. <laughs> I love that about you, Elon. I'd, I'd like, you know, ask me again next week. Will this still be available next week? Will what be the bet? Sure. Yeah. Okay, great. Okay. Give me a All week. Right, so continue. Um, the other guys, though, we got Johansson, Arvidsson, Eckholm, everyone's, Josie, Ellis. Everyone's, yeah, everyone's doing great. Nashville has the third highest shooting percentage in the league at all strengths, but they're also top 10 in expected goals rates, so it's not undeserved, and it's lovely. Like, we're just not used to seeing this from Nashville because of how bad their power play was last year, but their power play is working so far. They've scored on four of their 17 power play opportunities, which means they've solved it forever, and they will never go cold on the power play again. Way to go, Predators. Was that sarcasm? Sort of. I mean, like, they're good. 
it was ridiculous how bad they were last year, and there was no way it could last. Uh, they're not going to be, like, there's going to be another cold stretch at some point, but it's not going to last the entire season the way it did last year. I, it's nice to see that power play back on track because it was a real tough thing to watch for anyone who owned a Predator last year. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're going to go cold, just like any team does. Like, Pittsburgh and Colorado went cold, I'm sure, at times last year. But I think that this national power play may just be one of those top ones. Like, just looking at the names, like, I don't know, it's hard for me not to drool over, like, Shane Forsberg, Johansson, Arvidsson, Roman Yosi. Like, that power play should be one of the best. You know, they had most of those guys on the unit last year, right? They didn't have Matt Duchesne. 80-point Matt yeah. Duchesne, Brian. It's true. They were using Brian Boyle there instead. So uh, I, I'm, I'm totally in. I'm in on the Nashville power play. Yeah, and hey, if all these guys that I've said are not available to you, and you still want to take a spin on someone on this red-hot Nashville top six? How about Callie Yarncroc, who's been playing on the Johansson-Arvidsson line, and he has three assists in his last two games? Now, Brian, I know he's no Craig Smith, but uh, does Callie Yarncroc interest you as a flyer while he's there? Uh, he interests me as not only a flyer, but a predator while he's there. And actually, by the way, since you mentioned Craig Smith, rough start to the year for him. His he ice sucks. Time. Forget about him. Forget about yeah, him. Yeah, you, you can forget about him. Yeah, but Callie Yarncroc you're into. Yeah, go ahead. Get Callie Yarncroc to start the year. Yeah, I mean, he's playing on a good line. He's on a run right now. If you need a streamer in a deep league, you could do a lot worse, and we'll see how long he lasts in that spot. Obviously, you've got to check the line combinations. You could follow at game day lines, and we'll be retweeting all of the morning skate line combos every day, so you could check and see before you add Yarncroc who was skating on that line You know, in that day's morning skate for Nashville. Uh, let's go to Edmonton, Brian. We talked about Neil and Cassian. Is it Cassian? I've always been saying Cassian, but I heard another podcast call him Cassian. What do you think? Nice. K-A-S-S-I-A-N. 100% Cassian. Yes. All right. So we talked about James Neal and Zach Cassian last week as Oilers who were taking advantage of their deployment playing with McDavid and Dreisaitl, who, by the way, are currently leading the league. I'm talking about McDavid and Dreisaitl with 12 and 11 points respectively in five games, over two points per game so far. Insane. But Brian, we could talk about a couple other Oilers. How excited are you about Oscar Clefbaum and his seven points in five games after one goal, one assist outing versus the Rangers yesterday? You've been pumping Clefbaum's tires forever while he's just continued to disappoint us year in year out this has got to feel good for you i'm sure you drafted him in a few of your leagues think this could actually last and clefbaum can be among the top z-men in fantasy or is now like a prime time to try to sell high shoot for the moon go for someone like a klingberg you know tory krug like that level if you can Things are going really well for Edmonton right now, which is great for Oscar Clefbaum, who's been in Edmonton when things are not going really well for Edmonton. Uh, so it's nice to see that when they do go well, uh, he's getting in on it. He's been through enough pain and suffering himself, uh, now getting, as you said, Elon, a goal and six assists for seven points in five games. Uh, one of the reasons for that is he scored once on his 12 shots, which is like, I don't know, it's ridiculous for me to parse these numbers. Uh, aside to say, he's done a little better than he should of his secondary assists are like he's getting a, a couple too many of his points through there but I'm not complaining and one thing I'm really excited about is he's seeing a 73% share of his team's power play time so far this season which is uh, a career high 
if it holds. Uh, the past couple of years, he's seen like a 60, 65% share. So that's huge. Another fun thing is that a cleft bomb is seeing a 65% share of the Oilers penalty killing time. So he's actually lost a couple minutes of five on five ice time so that he can work on the shorthanded units and on the power play units. He's still seeing 25 minutes of ice per night, uh, but in a bit of a different way than in the past, playing more of a role on the special teams. That penalty kill role could help his block numbers. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. He's averaging a couple a game, which is about par for the course for him. So no big upside from that penalty kill role yet. But uh, really, I'm excited for Oscar Klefbaum. I think he's going to be able to put up a very, very relevant season this year. I don't know if he's going to be top end, as you said, but I did know that if I pumped his tires and Gosses Bears tires long enough, I'd be right on one of them. Okay, but Brian, like, so then I, like I asked, if you have Clef Bomb, which I believe you do in some leagues, are you going out to the John Klingberg owner and trying to make that trade happen if you can? Oh, yeah, in a heartbeat. Okay. I would totally do that. Clef Bomb's peripherals are a little better than Klingberg's, but not enough to make up for. The difference is you can count on Klingberg a little bit more than you can Oscar Clefbaum, right? And Klingberg has not been the most reliable scorer himself lately. We talked about the Stars' struggles already this year. And yeah, he pays for 58 points last season, which isn't the 70 we'd hoped for, but it's still more than you know you can count on from Oscar Clefbaum. Yeah, another thing to consider is that Clefbaum is a bit injury prone. And also this Oilers team, while they are 5-0 and right now, which is wild, uh, they still might have some struggles throughout the year. And it is always possible that Clefbaum gets bumped from the top power play for a Darnell Nurse or a Joel Pearson or Evan Bouchard. Or like, you know, at some point, something like that could happen. You should have more confidence in Klingberg. Yeah, it's a tough, that's always the toughest move to make, right? To actually sell high, buy low. Like it makes so much sense in theory. But then when you like think about it, you're like, oh, but Clefbaum's doing so well and he's on the top power play. And like, why wouldn't I just want to ride it? Klingberg is struggling, but that's that's the struggle. I don't know. It would be hard for me to make that offer, but at the same time, it, it, like my brain tells me that's a smart thing to do. It's worth at least exploring the sell high options for Clefbaum. Just make sure, you know, it, of course, it depends on where you got him in your draft. If you overdrafted him, um, you might have a hard time selling high. Like, usually when I try and sell high, I look at the guy I've got, and then I look at who was going two or three rounds ahead of him. And that's my best starting point for finding trade targets. Wow. I don't know. I never, like when I get offered a trade, or I never look at what happened in the draft. I feel like the draft is ancient history at this I'm point. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, yes, yeah, sorry. I'm not saying that's the only way to do it. I'm saying if you're trying to figure out who your targets are, it's not a bad way. You look for underperformers who went a few rounds ahead of the guy you're trying to deal. Yeah. Or just listen to Keeping Carlson. You heard us talk about a whole bunch of defensemen who are struggling. Subban is another one. Brian, you'd offer a cleft bomb for Subban? Yeah, I would do that. Okay. So there you it'd, go. Be, it'd be close, though. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to. I own Clef Bomb because I like Clef Bomb's peripherals. I like that he blocks and hits. Okay, so maybe you could ask for a Subban and even a sweetener to make the deal worth your while. I, I mean, the Subban owner might be struggling, uh, especially if they listen to this podcast and heard me talk about how I'm not so sure. But if they probably are just listening more to what you said and that you made them feel a lot better. So that's nice. But yeah, like I said, this Oilers team, 5-0. and I feel like this has got to be the biggest shock of the season so far. It is for me. Uh, Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen both holding their own. Like Smith has played three games. Koskinen has played two games, both with goals against averages below three, which is more than enough to get wins with a team scoring this many goals. Still only 33% and 18% owned in fantasy, respectively. I'm talking about Mike Smith, 33, Koskinen, 18. Is it time to jump on either of these guys? I guess like Mike Smith seems to be the front runner to get starts. Like, 
or do you expect the Oilers to start imploding any day now? It's kind of weird to have the goalies of a team that's 5-0 and both available in the majority of fantasy leagues and free agency. It is. And so you're wondering, okay, do I, do I want this handcuff? Do I go and grab this tandem? Uh, and to see if Edmonton's success is sustainable, we can look to their shooting percentage. They're second at five on five so far this year. And I wouldn't say that's terrible in a terribly sustainable way. Uh, they're also second in penalty kill save percentage. That's right. Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen have combined to stop uh, almost 96% of the shots they faced on the penalty kill, which is where you're usually thinking about 85%, somewhere in the 840 to 880 range. They've combined for a 957, uh, and their five-on-five five save percentage together is nothing at all to write home about. In fact, they're both underperforming their expected save percentage. So I think once we see that bubble burst on the penalty kill, we're going to be seeing a little less friendly numbers from the goalies, and maybe it's going to impact the team as a whole a little more as well. But let's keep in mind... Let's, on the bright side, the Oilers have a new coach, Dave Tippett, and uh, he has a reputation for tightening up defense, and he's done that so far. Uh, their five-on-five expected goals against rates in Edmonton uh, are now below two per game, which is about a 20% drop from the last several years. That's a good thing, and that's what you'd expect from Dave Tibbet. So that's going to benefit the goalies, even if they do play below their expected save percentages. At least they're being better protected than they would have been in any of the last several seasons in Edmonton. I'm pretty shocked that the Oilers have started 5-0. and I don't know it can hold, especially with all this penalty kill success they've been having, although I guess it's not going to make or break them, but it is going to make or break their goalies' save percentages. The Oilers definitely have my attention, and I will give at least a a little more thought to spot starting their goalies on a regular basis, but I'm not interested in Smith or Koskinen on my team long-term yet. Oh, well, I mean, but the problem is if you say yet, it'll be never, right? If they turn out to do well. Yeah. And I would say Smith, Mike Smith is the one I'm interested in. Like he has also a history with Dave Tippett. He's, I don't know, played three games out of the five so far. So we'll see who gets the next start. Uh, Koskinen also just concerns me as potentially just not being a good goalie so yeah i don't know i'm grabbing mike smith if he's available in pretty much any of my leagues at this point unless it's super shallow like i would definitely be considering dropping someone like well yeah i mean like the guys we talked about right definitely jonathan quick but even maybe dubnik and martin jones and you start having to think about it no i think you might be wrong no we'll have to see i, I don't know i, I would actually I drop martin it. jones first before dubnik i'm i'm not I'm not in a league where goalies are golden, or I actually am. And I should go check if Mike Smith is available. He's probably not. But if you're looking for a starter, yeah, go get Mike Smith. Go, like, he's proven that maybe, just maybe, he'll work out. And if not, you just cut your losses in a week or two. I really don't have high expectations for either Edmonton goalie. Even if they were on a on a really strong team with a sound defense, I would still have my doubts about whether I can really rely on Smith or Koskinen. Yeah, well, last year, I recall you drafted Mike Smith in the couple when he was the starter for Calgary and he burned you. So I guess that's probably why you're especially concerned about recommending Mike Smith. So uh, we'll have to see. Uh, we also thought that James Neal probably wouldn't be doing much better after the season we saw from him in Calgary last year, but he sure has uh, turned our heads now on the top power play. He's still rocking it. Uh, but okay, how about another potentially valuable goalie that may still be in your free agent list, but perhaps not for much longer? Ilya Samsonov had another great game yesterday. He stopped 24 of 25 in the Capitals 4-1 win over the Dallas Stars. So that's now only two games for Ilya Samsonov, but he has a 961 save percentage. He's led in only one goal in each of those games. Meanwhile, 
while, Braden Holtby has kind of floundered for the most part. He has a, a unimpressive 868 save percentage through four games. Holtby's only won one and two for his record compared to Samsonov's two and zero. Brian, is there any chance Ilya Samsonov can be on the verge of stealing the job or at least making this a 50-50 situation in Washington? Like, if you're watching these games, it seems like Samsonov might be the better goalie at this point. We've seen Holtby struggle in the past. I wonder how much leash he gets as the Capitals, you know, their window is running out as Ovechkin and Backstrom and these guys are getting older. I think you got to go with the hot goalie at this point. And Samsonov sure is doing well so far. And he comes into the league with a high pedigree. He's not totally coming out of nowhere. Yeah, we'll have to see more before we really can judge whether he's capable of taking the job from Braden Holtby. But you have to think the Capitals are open to the idea for the reasons you said. They're not just going to sit on their thumbs and say, yeah, Braden Holtby's our guy and we're going to stick by him no matter what. When they have the aging core that they do, they need to strike now. And if Samsonov turns out to be their best option, then they'll go with him. One thing that Samsonov has had in his favor so far this season is uh, he's gotten better protection interestingly enough, by the Caps team in front of him. Maybe they've been a little more attentive, a little more mindful. Maybe they're a little less trustworthy of him being their backstop, but they've offered him a 935 expected save percentage compared to Holtby's 922 expected save percentage at even strength. Uh, So I wonder if that's going to be a factor, and that'll probably even out as the season goes, especially if Samsonov plays more, the team trusts him more, and they start playing in front of him the way they would if Holtby was behind them. Also, keep in mind, Holtby's in the last year of his contract, right? So if the Capitals are trying to figure out what do we do about Braden Holtby going forward, and that answer is dependent on what Ilya Samsonov can offer them in the immediate future, uh, this could be a reason to try and get Samsonov into a whole bunch of games. Look, we've seen Holtby lose the job to Philip Grubauer. It's not out of the question to think he'll lose the job to Ilya Samsonov. Yeah, so especially if you're in a league that weighs goals against average and save percentage as like more than just volume, then I think you definitely want to just grab Sansonov for now and see how it goes. And even if not, like uh, he's a guy I definitely have on my radar. He His two games have been against the Islanders and Dallas, who both haven't been scoring many goals this season. So that could be another reason to explain this like, you know, expected save percentage being high. It might just be the quality of competition considering it's literally only been two games versus Holtby's four games. But this is definitely a situation I'm monitoring closely. Brian, if you had to pick right now, who's going to play more games this season? Ilya Samsonov or Jack Campbell? Jack Campbell. Ooh, okay. There you go. Putting his name down. Who do you yeah, think? I think it could be close. Honestly, I thought of the question and then I I can't even think of an answer. Like I think that, <laughs> but definitely that you saying that makes me even more confident that people should drop Jonathan Quick because when it comes down to it, you still like Campbell more than Samsonov and Samsonov is probably the better goalie. I don't know. It's hard to say because he's, he's so young, but yeah, I guess if I had to pick one, I'd probably also say Jack Campbell because I think that Jonathan Quick is worse than Braden Holtby by a significant amount. Uh, okay, let's go to Anaheim. Next, I think we got to bring up Hampus Lindholm's four assists in four games so far for the Ducks. We've always liked Lindholm as a solid defenseman, but kind of gave up on his offensive upside a while back. But so far this season, he's been seeing some decent power play time. It looks like they're having two even power play units, and he's on one of them. And also, Lindholm is getting involved in the offense, clearly, to some extent. So if you're in a league where D is scarce, would Hampus Lindholm be on your radar? Uh, maybe is he showing a new side to himself, like, you know, like something Jacob Slavin is? Or do you think this is totally a blip and just forget about Hampus Lindholm? This is a blip. It's nice that Hampus Lindholm gets to work on the power play, which is where we wanted to see him for, like, the last five years. Uh, He's not seeing really significantly more work on the power play, though. He's seeing 40 seconds more than he did last season, but the two or three seasons before that, he had similar minutes and was not putting up 
a whole lot of production. Maybe his line mates on his unit are a little better this time around, but it's nothing to get too excited about. Plus, he is rocking the extremely fun 133.33% IPP, which means that he's been on the ice for three goals, but he's pointed on four of them. So what happens? He passed to someone and they got on the bench and they scored? That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow, so that's probably not sustainable. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Uh, also, shout out to Andre Kasha, who's finally healthy. We've been waiting for this. Hopefully, he can stay healthy all season, and he's doing what we expected. He's got four points through five games, 17 shots on goal. And really, if you look at those shots, he had one game with no shots, but then his other games are like five, six, four, and two. So, like, generally, this guy is being a high volume shooter. I'm very excited for Andre Kasha this year. If somehow he's still available to you, especially with, you know, the Ducks' great off night schedule, he's been playing with Ryan Getzlaff. Uh, like I'd even check and on the power play, by the way, like uh, the Ducks have been splitting their power plays, like I said, pretty evenly. Lindholm, Getzlaff, Comtois, Michael Delzato, and Hampus Lindholm were one unit, and then the <laughs> other unit had Raquel and Silverberg and those guys. So uh, yeah, just I really like Andre Kasha, and we liked him before, and nothing has changed. I'm just happy to see it working out for him so far. I own him on two of my teams, and I'm very glad I do. There was one team where he was stuck in my IR because I didn't know who to drop to activate him, and then uh, I was just dying with him sitting in there doing so well. I, he's out now uh, because Philip Ronick, I was able to shove in there, and I don't mind him being tucked away in my IR. But Andre Kasha, 17 shots over five games, fantastic. And uh, he's only scored on one of them when he's probably going to do better than that scoring once on every 17 shots the rest of the way so it's really nice to see him uh, having a strong start to his year especially because uh, it's never fun when the season begins I think he was concussed right in a preseason game so it's nice to see that he has not taken long to recover and find his legs and join in and do his thing for his fantasy owners go get him there's no way he's available but go go get him if he is and enjoy all those shots yeah, I mean, he must be available. There's a lot of shallow leagues that we don't think about. I look at some of these percentage owned, like I was looking at some Habs that we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, but like Jonathan Druin is only owned in 20% or 26% of leagues, and he's got six points in five games. So I think that Andre Kasha might be available in a lot of leagues. If you watch our Twitter account, Brian, we've got some crazy lineups that people show us, where it's like a, a lineup of all-stars, and then they're like, who should I drop for Victor Olofsson? And it's like, ugh. I don't know. This is hard. Maybe then I say, like, Andre Kasha. Like, these decisions get very difficult when you're in these deep leagues. At that point, by the way, my general advice is stream, stream, stream. If you can. Like, if you know you're going to have great options in free agency all season long, then maximize your games play. Like, if there's a guy playing only two games in a week, drop him for someone playing four games in a week and get more games, win your matchups, and it doesn't seem like you'll hurt your team very much because you're always going to be able to replace the guy you dropped with someone else who's doing well. That's just some general advice. One guy that's definitely not going to be available in, like, the large, large majority of leagues for sure but we got to mention him kale mccarr he's up to now four power play assists and five assists overall in four games played he's had at least one power play assist in every single game he's played brian this one okay 100 percent chance he holds his power play spot all season right like we're not even going to talk about a potential challenge from sam gerard that's that's no over. no he came out of the gates strong which is what he needed to do i mean how hard can it be on that top colorado power play but no i want to give full credit to Kel McCarr, way to go, uh, proving his worth. But what you're about to say, I think, is what I would say, which is that he only has three shots in four games, four hits, six blocks. He's not offering you much else. Yeah, so that's the thing. And so maybe if you're in a peripherals league, it might be time to try to like sell high. Like I like Kale McCarr a lot. And if this is a keeper league, I'm probably holding on and I would need a really good haul for him. But in a one-year league where he's basically only giving you power play assists... 
you have to think about it if that's worth it to you. If it's a categories league and there's like seven categories, maybe you ship him out for someone like a Drew Doughty or, you know, like, I don't know, I guess Drew Doughty would be hard to get since he's starting hot. But you might want to think about it. I don't, I don't want to go too deep into who to trade Kale McCarr for because he's obviously really good and he's going to get you a lot of points. But think about like that peripheral production and how that affects your league. But uh, Brian, you're saying you want to give Kale McCarr a lot of credit. I think I deserve a little bit of credit because I was totally like disregarding all of the Sam Girard stuff over the offseason. So I'm happy to at least have gotten one thing right so far. You're the real hero here, Elon. Yeah, it's me first, then Kale, then I guess like McKinnon and Rantanen and Landis Gong and the other people helping to get those uh, points on the power play. Okay, next. Yeah, so I brought up the Habs before. Might be time to see if there's any Montreal Canadiens in your free agent pool, as after their 6-3 win over St. Louis yesterday, they scored 21 goals in five games. A lot of people who may be available in your leagues are producing. Of course, you've got Gallagher and Domi. They're doing well, probably owned. But Brian, how would you rank your interest in adding the following guys, all 31% owned or lower on Yahoo? You've got Thomas Tatar. He's 31% owned. Two goals, three assists in five games, 17 shots, which is amazing. Same as Kasha. Jonathan Druin, 26% owned, and he has six points in five games, two goals, four assists. Uh, Arturi Lekkinen, only 14% owned, and he has one goal and three assists. Philip Deneau, centering Brian, as I know you like to call it, the top line with Gallagher and Tatar, only 7% owned, and he's got two goals, two assists in five games. This guy, Joel Armia, I don't really even know who he is, but he's 3% owned and has four points and 15 shots and 11 hits so far in the five games. Uh, I'll give some context here before I throw to you. Here are the lines so far. This is another team that's like really spreading things around. You've got Deneau, Gallagher, Tatar, then Domi with Lekkonen and Jordan Wheel, and then Druen with Kotkaniemi and Armia. And they also have two pretty even power plays, Deneau, Druen, Gallagher, Wheel, Weber, and then Domi, Tatar, Suzuki, Armia, and Petrie. Uh, so yeah, of the guys I mentioned that are doing well and maybe available, who interests you and who do you think is definitely going to slow down? Well, first off, how about we just uh, take stock of the early returns on our bet, which is who's going to finish in a better position, Montreal or Florida? Montreal has six points in five games. Florida, uh, four points in five games. Oh, so, so one I more win. I think that's pretty much a win for me. <laughs> yeah, they've won uh, one more game for sure. <laughs> Florida's been bad, by the way. They have a negative seven goal differential. It's one of the worst in the league so far. Uh, but Another reason, by the way, right, to not reach for goalies high. You never know. People thought Bobrovsky's the surest of sure things compared to the other goalies you can grab. So might as well reach to get Bobrovsky. Not looking good so far. But I'll bet you in a month, Bobrovsky will be doing well. And then we'll be talking about who's a goalie who's doing well so far. You know, we'll be talking about uh, who, whoever. Uh, Carter Hart will be struggling. And, like, that's the thing. That's why I, I like to wait. You get your goalies late. You pick up Mike Smith out of free agency. And you get, like, three wins in three games. So you never know. But anyways, yeah. yeah see, you, the, the you say the same thing about Holtby also, right? Earlier in the show, like, people probably invested a lot in him. Because Phoenix Copley wasn't going to pose a challenge. Anyway, uh, we're talking about Montreal, who uh, their offense looks... Like, it's for real. Uh, they rank third in the league and expected goals for at all strengths per 60 minutes. And uh, their shooting percentage ranks just outside the top 10. Usually I look for those two numbers to align uh, because teams with creating more expected goals are going to probably convert on more of their shots. So uh, good for Montreal for really coming out blazing. Uh, they've got a lot of potential this year as we've uh, we've gone on and on about over the last couple months. So you asked me to rank the guys well to Tatar, absolutely I'm interested in. And then it's probably close to me between uh, Deneau and Druen. I think Duran probably has the higher upside, but Deneau is going to be steadier. And I also like that Deneau is on the top line with Gallagher and Tatar. Duran is playing with Armia and Kotkaniemi. 
uh, Kaniemi, you know, coming along, but still not seeing a, a ton of minutes. And Armia, I forget how he ended up in Montreal, but I know he ended up uh, in Winnipeg as or Buffalo as part of the Evander Kane trade. Uh, that's that's how his name stays in my head. Uh, okay, and then Lekkinen and then Armia. Like in a bangers league, go for it with Armia. Uh, 15 shots is fantastic, especially to go with 11 hits. I wouldn't expect him to keep producing big numbers, but it's a really nice start from him. Uh, but yeah, Tatar is a must-own. And then Drew and Deneau are, are pretty close. And then you've got Lekkinen and Armia. Yeah, I think that's a fair ranking. All guys you want to be at least looking at if you want to stream and a have. And for like Dino and Tatar, like maybe you're not, or Druan, right? You're maybe not streaming. Maybe you're holding until they slow down. By the way, uh, this Habs team scoring all these goals is very nice for Carey Price owners because Price is not doing especially well. He has a 901 save percentage. He's let in three or more goals in every game he's played. Luckily, he's still picking up the wins because of all of these goals for. But uh, imagine if slash when Carey Price sort of settles down a little bit, this defense, I don't know, which doesn't look that good, but hopefully Price could help make up for it. Like he could become a really valuable. I'm still into Carey Price, even though he started the season slow. And I'm even though I'm like a little disappointed in his low save percentage to start. I'm happy that he's getting some run support, which is gonna you know bode well for his chances in the future if he plays a little bit better. All right, so Brian, I know we're running low on time. I just want to run through a lightning round of some interesting line combinations we've been seeing lately, different than what we expected going into the season. So we could just give some quick takes about these new line combos. I want to start in Vancouver. We expected. Michael Furland to be on the top line with Besser and Pedersen. That's what the beat writers were telling us going into the season. That's over. Uh, most recently, and I'm talking about yesterday's game, JT Miller was playing with Besser and Pedersen, as well as on the top power play in the 3-2 shootout win over Philly. Miller had one goal and three assists in that crazy 8-2 blowout of Quick and the Kings on Wednesday. He's been quiet aside from that, but still gotta be worth owning while he's top line, top power play with these all-star players, right? Though, we would have said that about Furland, who has one sad assist in four games and is toiling in the bottom six so things could definitely change but for now get rid of furland and add jt miller if you still can he's already up to five points in four games I and mean, he doesn't take a lot of shots just five shots in those four games too uh, but we don't want him to take shots get the puck help help create opportunities for besser and Pedersen, and please get a point on them jt miller he's seen a, a huge bump in his deployment uh, in Vancouver. He's seeing over 18 minutes a night total, which would be a career high if it stood. Most of his career, he's been like 12 to 15 minutes. He's peaked above 16 minutes a couple times, but over 18 minutes is huge. Uh, just by virtue of his deployment alone, you need to consider adding JT Miller. Well, yeah, and actually another Canuck that's playing over 18 minutes a game, a guy who I brought up in the Almanac, and I think I got some scuffs, but so far, returns are looking good for Tanner Pearson, who has four points in four games. He's in playing on the second line most recently with Horvat and Josh Levo and Pearson's also like taking a good number of shots he's got let me just bring this up here 18 shots oh my god 18 shots in four games I guess there was one yeah there was one 11 shot game to start the year versus Edmonton that's booing that he also has some hits like five hits in four games so yeah Tanner Pearson looking good also getting big minutes playing with Bo Horvat so he's another guy you know Furland or not Furland sorry JT Miller is probably not available in a lot of leagues but you can maybe get Tanner Pearson if you want to get it on some Canucks action Who'd have thought that on this Pearson Levo Horvat line that Bo Horvat would be the one uh, bringing up the rear in production? Just one assist in four games, only seven shots, too. This is not the Bo Horvat that we know, love, and expected to see this season. So, I, like, I'm not getting down on him yet, but it would be nice to see him turn it around sooner rather than later.
Yeah, I know you were stumbling with your words a little bit there, but I think actually it was a pleasant surprise because you said Bor Horvat, which is kind of what he's been <laughs> so far. And uh, but yeah, hopefully he'll turn that around. Uh, so Braden Point uh, is back in the Tampa lineup. He's back from his injury and he jumped right to the top line with Stamkos and Kucherov. He put up two goals and one assist in the big win over Toronto on Thursday. Then Point went pointless in the 4-2 shocking loss to the Sens yesterday. I still don't get how that happened. But anyway, now with all the studs on line one and Pat Maroon as the only other forward on the top power play, with not much offensive upside is it time for us to say that you probably don't need to hold any other tampa forwards going into the tuesday thursday saturday schedule next week like sure andre palata scored three goals and i think sorelli had that three assist game versus the leafs but none of these guys are interesting me that much at the moment how about you I mean, they're okay. Andre Palat hits also. So if you're in a bangers league, that's helpful. He has two goals on four shots in his last couple games. Tyler Johnson riding a three-game point streak that included a five-shot game. So there is depth uh, available to own in Tampa. Like, if you're interested and you have the roster space, go for it. But I hear you. Uh, they've loaded up on one line, Stamkos, Point, and Kucherov, which I honest, also don't think is going to last very long. So this might be a chance for you to sneak in and get a Tyler Johnson or a Palat or a Sorelli or a Matsu Joseph uh, just in advance of whenever they do end up playing with one or more of Point, Stamkos, and Kucherov. Yeah, that's a good point. They did just lose this game to the Sens. So usually when something disastrous like that happens, maybe you do shake things up. So keep following uh, at game day lines and check and see those Tampa line combos on Tuesday. There might be something different there. But for now, he's Tyler Janssen to me. And that's Y-A-W-N because I'm not interested <laughs> in him uh, if he's not going to be playing with any of Point, Kucherov or Stamkos at even strength or on the power play. Uh, okay, so Chicago scored some new lines in their 3-2 overtime loss to Winnipeg yesterday. Alex Nylander was a healthy scratch. So, people, you know, just last week we were talking about Nylander on the top line with Kane and Taves. No more. Healthy scratch. We'll see when he gets back in the lineup. Kane played with Andrew Shaw and Dylan Strom. And then Taves played with Debrinket and Drake Kajula. I wouldn't be surprised to see this getting shaken up again since the Hawks only scored two goals yesterday. But still, people should probably be taking note of Andrew Shaw at this point, right? Like, he's been playing with either Strom, Debrinket, or Strom Kane in his game so far. And he had a two-goal game versus the Sharks on Thursday. He has 11 shots and 11 hits in three games so far. So if you're in a bangers league and you could get a guy who hits, shoots, and plays with either Patrick Kane or with Debrinket and Strom, seems like a pretty solid ad to me. So either you definitely need to take a close look at Andrew Shaw. He also had a great run last year when he was getting good minutes in Montreal. So he's not just coming out of nowhere. He's definitely high on my radar. And also Alex Nylander, let him go. Like, who knows? Like, even if he gets back on the top line, like, come on, like, he's not going to last there. He'll maybe move around the lineup. Not worth holding, in my opinion. I agree, especially if he's being healthy, scratched, forget it. Brandon Saad, I'm just going to mention, he has two points in three games. Always, like, never a bad one-day spot, and you never know if he can string something together. It's the same production that we've seen from Dylan Strom so far, uh, except Brandon Saad, of course, not getting a sniff of power play time, whereas Strom is on that top unit. Uh, what was the question, Elon? Nylander? Yeah, you could forget him. Yeah, but Andrew Shaw, would you take Saad over Shaw, even though Shaw's the one playing in the top six and Saad is in the bottom six? No. I I want to, and I think Saad is probably a better scoring hockey player, but uh, he's not going to get the opportunities to do it. Chicago seems very much over him until, I don't know, he does something that they haven't seen before. So yeah, uh, I will prefer Shaw to Brandon Saad, but I would actually prefer nobody 
Okay, well, you, you hate Andrew Shaw, so we'll see if he continues yeah. to prove you wrong. So far, he's looking good. The, and the thing is, yeah, Brandon Saad, I was about to say, like, maybe they don't hate him, they just, or they're not over him, but maybe they just don't want to use him in an offensive role. But he's actually only been playing, like, uh, well, 16 minutes in the last game. He played less than 13 minutes in the two previous games, so I don't know. It doesn't really... I, I think Brandon Saad, we're done with him. He's not someone I'd be looking to stream in. Another Blackhawk, actually, I might even be more interested in, depending on your league format, this guy, Dominic Kubalik, who has been playing with Saad, and this guy, David Kampf, and through three games... Games, Dominic Kubalik has one goal, one assist, nine shots, and 13 hits. So I don't know. If you want to say anything about this guy, if you need hits and you like Brandon Saad, then you could get the guy playing with him in Dominic Kubalik. So just wanted to throw out his name. Yeah, we're throwing out. He's uh, seeing his first NHL action after having been drafted in the seventh round in 2013 by LA. Uh, Chicago acquired him in January uh, for a fifth round pick, and I guess they signed him to a contract to play this year. So uh, way to go, Dominic Kubalik, for finally breaking in after spending the last six years in the Czech and Swiss leagues. We'll see what he can offer. Way to go, Donimic! Dominic. I was thinking, like, way to go, Donnie from Big Lebowski. I tried to, like, put it together, and I got Donimic. So close. Didn't really help. Okay, uh, so speaking of rookies losing their deployment, we just talked about Alex Nylander. Also, uh, Cody Eakin returned to the Golden Knights, where he took over centering the third line, which then pushed Paul Stasny up to the second line to play with Stone and Pacioretty, which meant that Cody Glass got bumped to the third line to play on Eakin's wing along with Valentin Zikov. So not healthy scratched. So that's good for Cody Glass. But yeah, definitely there's a big difference between playing with Stone and Pacioretty versus playing with Eakin and Zikov. So yeah, Glass, if you were really excited about him before, I would definitely be concerned at this point. Meanwhile, Paul Stasny responded to getting back into the top six with his first point of the year. He scored a goal in the win over the Flames yesterday. Not to be outdone though, uh, Cody Glass scored a goal himself. From the third line, but he only saw 11 minutes and 53 seconds of ice time, way down from his minutes from his first four games. So, Brian, if you have Cody Glass on your team and Stasny is in free agency, it's one-year league, is that an easy-slash-obvious swap to make? Or do you hold Glass to see if he can get back to uh, playing with eight points in five games, Mark Stone? I feel like you just dropped Glass. I think you just dropped Glass, too. I don't think anyone's going to rush to grab him, although Glass is still on a power play unit. Uh, with Stone, Stasny, and Pacioretty. So that's nice. All four of them can be a happy family and get together instead of having Stasny and Glass competing for time. But I uh, will see. Vegas plays again tonight, the night we're recording this. So it, we'll see if this configuration lasts for two games in a row. It is telling, though, that Glass had such a low time on ice and Paul Stasny saw the highest of his season playing over 19 minutes. Uh, only two shots to show for it. Thankfully, one went in. But if he was dropped in your league, it is definitely time to reconsider adding him. Yeah, 68-point pace last season for Paul Stasny. Unfortunately, Brian, this is really terrible. This is like the worst thing that could happen in fantasy. I had him. I drafted him. I dropped him at some point. I think it was for Olofsson. So I was like, I don't regret the drop, but I definitely regret, like, I should have dropped someone else and held Stasny, but I hated how he was in the bottom six. Now we're going to the last day of the matchup, and my opponent has added Paul Stasny, and I'm up by, like, nine points, and he's got four guys playing, and I've got two, and I just know that Stasny is going to put the dagger into my matchup. It's Brendan in Tier 1 Sweden, and yeah, like if Stasny, ugh, I'll just feel so bad. Like the guy who I dropped ends, ugh, 
terrible. Yeah, Stasny's been taken down in all of my leagues, so too bad. Don't go get Stasny if you can. Like Mark Stone is insane. Like anything like I said about him, you know, over the off season again. Like this is a mistake <laughs> I made. I was saying some stuff about how like oh like he was good in Ottawa, but how's he going to do in Vegas where you know there's a lot more people that are producing the offense. Maybe he's not going to stand out as much. No, this guy's standing out like crazy, and anyone playing with Mark Stone definitely benefits. And also Paul Stasny, Pacioretty, no slouches themselves. Uh, so let's end the show, Brian, in your hometown of Ottawa, where Vladislav Nemesnikov has had a great wow. start with his new team, where he got an apple in his debut versus St. Louis, and then had a big two-goal, one-assist game yesterday in the win over Tampa. Plus, Nemesnikov played 21 minutes and 40 seconds of TOI. This is a veteran on the team that's being used as such. Clearly, just put him out as long as you can. He ended up on a line with Pajot and Connor Brown at the end of the game after Anisimov got hurt. Uh, so do you think Vladislav Nemesnikov can continue doing stuff from this spot in the Ottawa lineup, or does he remain completely fantasy irrelevant in your book? Well, he really showed Tampa for letting go of him by dropping three points and, you know, being the dagger against them. So way to get that revenge, Vladislav Nemesnikov. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's good for his fantasy value, right? He played almost 22 minutes against Tampa, which is obscene for a forward. Uh, He played 17 minutes against St. Louis. Both of those numbers uh, represent ice time greater than really anything he's seen, especially uh, since his big sort of breakout year a couple years ago in Tampa. So, uh, like, still, anyone in Ottawa has low relevance. Uh, You look at Colin White, who's playing with Brady Kachuk, has just two points in four games. So, actually, maybe that's where I want to take this conversation and say, perhaps, it has nothing to do with Nemesnikov arriving, but if you're holding on to Colin White waiting for big upside and someone like Paul Stasny is out there, uh, maybe he's someone you should drop by now. Oh, I would say the opposite. I, I mean, I want Paul Stasny over Colin White, but actually I would say Nemesnikov, forget about him. That was just a great couple games. Uh, Colin White is the one I would want because he's playing with Brady Kachuk. Sure, he only has uh, two points in four games, but that's only four games and Brady Kachuk is looking really good. And, you know, I, I, I like a top, I'm a sucker, Brian, for a top line, top power play guy. So give me Colin White if he's available in free agency. All right, Elon, Colin White or Eric Stahl? Ooh, like I, to me, they're like streamers. Like, I like I, it really depends on the league, right? Like, obviously, Stahl has more upside for the whole season, but like, if there's a week where Colin White's playing four games and Stahl's playing three games, and I'm trying to maximize, I'd, I'd have no problem dropping Stahl for Colin White. Like, I'm not into Stahl, and I think White has upside to do what Stahl could do. Are we making a bet? For what, over the next month? Or, like, like I'm not going to... Huh, the rest of the year. Well, I don't know. Like, how about for as long as Colin White's on the top line and top power play? Is that fair? Because I would drop him once he falls. No. Okay, so then no bet. Because that's not what I'm saying. Okay. I'm just talking about for now, okay. I like Colin White while he's on the top line and power play. Okay. All right. And with that, Brian, we've gotten to the end of my list of stuff to talk about for this show. Wow, those two hours just flew by. And we have people in the chat room. Thank you so much for joining us, like asking us to talk about more players. I wish we could just talk about every player all the time. But this is what we got. We'll obviously get to more of them in next week's show. Feel free to tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know who you want us to talk about. Or actually, the best way to get us to talk about who you want is to become a patron of Keeping Carlson because we always make a Facebook event for the show. And then I definitely take all the suggestions very seriously of the patrons asking who they want us to discuss so you can get that if you become a patron also you get to join this facebook group where we're all giving each other fantasy advice it's a lot of fun we're all trying to help each other out as much as we can plus you get to have that really nice feeling of knowing you're supporting a show that you like you can just give us five bucks a month the the 
price of a cheap beer for one of Elon or Brian once a month, and we'd really appreciate it. So yeah, check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron if you want to support us in that way. Of course, if you're not subscribed to the show, go ahead and do that, like on iTunes or wherever you want to do that. A five-star review would be nice. This is the part where I'm just shilling for as much as I can. Follow us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. Uh, with that, Brian, I'll just stop talking. Why don't we cue that outro music, and you can go ahead and read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest one, John. Welcome, John, for, uh, for being a patron. Uh, this episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Corsica Hockey, Cap Friendly Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and Roto World and Yahoo! Great job as always, Brian. Looking forward to doing this all again with you next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Rolson.